What's up, everybody, and welcome back to the Sorry to Interrupt podcast. This is episode 182. Today we had our friend Mike French on, and we talked everything NFL, even a Super Bowl prediction at the end. Got everybody ready for the offseason, which seems to be even more fun than the season at this point. Starting to look a little bit like the NBA in that case. Follow us on Twitter at Sorry Sports, on Instagram, Sorry underscore sports. Check out the website, SorrySports.com, and we'll be back probably next week at some point with a little more in-depth look at the Super Bowl. Again, thanks to Mike French for coming on, and we are looking forward to having him on again uh, post-Super Bowl into the offseason getting ready for the draft. Enjoy, everybody. I'm good. I'm doing great. I'm oh, good. okay. Yeah, everybody's good. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me on again. Uh, it's been a busy off season. It's only getting busier, so I'm pretty excited for it. I'm just happy to see that you two had a cordial breakup and that we're still friends, and and I'm happy about it. I'm happy for you guys. Yeah, and who's gonna let a girl get in the way like this? And you know, whoever Austin is that Sean's seeing, I'm sure they're happy too. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's what I was looking for. <laughs> we're doing, yeah, we're titling this podcast Couples Therapy. So. <laughs> Run by me, which is a major issue. Exactly. All right. Frenchie, we have you on to talk off-season football. I know the Super Bowl's next week, but do we really even care about that? This is becoming NBA territory where we just want to get to the off-season, and it kind of started already yesterday. But before we get into that, we got to talk the coaching changes that occurred so far. Um, there's a lot to bring up, and I know you have a lot of thoughts on them, and I want to start with Tom's new guy who's going to change the culture of the franchise, Robert Sala. What Speak do we of the devil, happy birthday, Robert Sala. Oh, happy birthday, Robert Sala. Um, so I actually went through and gave each of our hires a grade. I like um, that. From A for the best, which I've given to two of our hires, all the way down to D, which is what the Eagles got. <laughs> um, spoiler alert. Uh, but Robert Sala was one of my A's. I thought the hire was a great one. I thought he should have been at the top of the list for anyone who was looking for a coach. Um, tons of energy, tons of respect, and those are the kinds of things that the Jets need more than anything else. It's the anti-Gase, and that's a great thing. Um, he's also the first ever Muslim to be a head coach in the NFL. He's the first uh, Arab-American head coach in the NFL. And one of the things that I think is going to be most useful is uh, Mike LaFleur, uh, brother of Matt LaFleur, and also former passing game coordinator for the 49ers. He's coming along with Sala to run a very similar Kyle Shanahan offense is what's going to be expected. It's something that we see out of quite a few of these hires, but I think Mike LaFleur, he's been on the coordinator watch list for me for quite a while. I think he's really going to be able to do well with whatever quarterback they put in. If the quarterbacks not succeeding there under LaFleur with Sala uh, then we can start you know looking a little bit closer at the quarterbacks themselves 
more than it was under Gase and the dysfunction that's been the Jets for a while now. Sounds like you were dancing around Sam Darnold a little bit there. Listen, My baby I, I boy. Don't need, don't need to dance around it. I, I've never been a Darnold guy. When he was coming out, I said he was Jameis Winston. I think that's kind of held up a little bit. Uh, but nobody can succeed in the situation he's been in. You know, he's got high character, high work ethic. It's the same kind of leadership that we're hearing from, you know, the Giants with Daniel Jones and that we're hearing from, you know, other teams talking about their young quarterbacks, Josh Allen with the Bills, anyone like that. Then a new system, a new coach, those things will make a big difference if he's that guy. And, you know, if that's the way that they decide to go this offseason instead of going with Deshaun Watson or, you know, one of the remaining quarterbacks picking it too, you know, it, he'll be in a much better position to succeed. Hmm. Whatever quarterback it is, we'll have a much better position to succeed. That sounds Tom, great to you me. You threw your baby boy out last podcast, by the way. Yes, my baby boy jersey. I mean, it was an Ally Express jersey, so it's not like I threw out a $150 jersey. But, again, I did throw out my baby boy in the trash. I am all in on the Deshaun <laughs> Watson trade, which I'm sure we will speak about later. Um, Absolutely. But let's get up and down this list, um, and then we'll talk Jets later, of course. Uh, Lions hired Dan Campbell. What do you think of that? Dan Campbell. I gave that one a B. It's a little bit tougher to assess. One of the things that I thought was impressive from his hiring was the way that the former Dolphins players came out in favor, you know, really supporting him since he was the interim coach with the Dolphins for uh, more than a handful of games there. He's the classic kind of leader of men leader of men type hire which we're seeing a couple teams go more with you know like the giants did like the texans did this offseason as well and so there's some great things the press conference everyone thought it was a raging success lunatic good i thought it was a uh it, it might be what detroit needs you know um and that's just part of the hire I thought he's made some great hires so far. He brought Deuce Staley from Philly, who I thought should have been right in line, um, you know, and give him more of a shot in that interview process for the Eagles. As the assistant head coach, he's got Anthony Lynn as an uh, offensive coordinator, so he's never called plays. Again, a former player who's a great leader. There's a kind of consistent theme going through this, um, and it you know keeps going through with Glenn, the defensive coordinator who joined him from New Orleans. So there's a heavy emphasis on former players that are going to be coaching. There's a heavy emphasis on trying to relate to players. And, you know, just like we saw with the Jets hire, trying to have the anti-Gase, this is very much the anti-Patricia. You know, it's all former coaches. It's all about trying to relate to the guys that you're going to be working with. You know, And it's something that I think is a, it's a turn that the Lions needed. I'm not sure if Dan Campbell was the right guy. You know, we could talk about other guys who were you know, potentially available for that head coaching spot. Uh, Marvin Lewis, I know, was a candidate, and Eric Bieniemy got an interview as other guys who you know might be better fits along that same line. But um, I think that the you know change of culture, you know, phrase gets thrown around a lot. But the Lions' locker room was fractured as any we've seen. It reminded me, for any hockey fans out there, of what the Maple Leafs were going through under Mike Babcock. Uh, and, you know, the distance between players, this kind of awkward paranoia, the strange, you know, instances of being cussed at and called all sorts of things by the coach. You know, that's the opposite of what you're getting with Dan Campbell. And 
I don't think it's a slam dunk hire. I think that a lot's going to need to be proven, but I do think that it's an upgrade. It's something that the locker room will the locker room will be much more impressed with the guy standing in front of them. I'm not certain that that's going to translate to immediate wins. Um, I'm not sure if it'll translate to long-term wins, frankly, but I do think it's something that will have a much more amiable and professional atmosphere in Detroit. And again, that alone is an upgrade. Excellent. I kind of had to raise an eyebrow at, at that hire, but you broke it down pretty well. I think any type of culture change in Detroit is a positive. Even if you hired a serial killer, it might still be a positive for them, given that they had Patricia before. And, Sean, that might have been our first um, hockey reference that actually mattered and made a little bit of sense on the pot. So we could put that leave on the it board to a as guy. well. Yeah, leave it to a guy that knows his hockey to do it, because God knows not, neither of us was going to do it. Okay. Um D'Angelo, huh? Hey, we're, not talking, we're not talking Rangers. Um, moving on down the line, the L.A. Chargers brought in Brandon Staley after Anthony Lynn got let go. He mentioned him joining Detroit. Uh, what do we think of Brandon Staley here moving into prob- arguably the most unrecognizable, most irrelevant team in the NFL? Yeah, so on the one hand, it's completely, if you're not an NFL fan, you don't even know that the Chargers are a team. You know, they play in a soccer field that he really cares about, except for the fact that they might rent it out from their neighbor when they get a real stadium. Um, Antonio Gates, I think, had the funniest rant recently when he talks about, can't believe Eli Manning didn't want to play here. Who wouldn't want to play in San Diego? And I said, well, the Chargers for one. And that's just (laughs) who that franchise is. Um, However, with, the young talent they've got with Justin Herbert, who looks to be the real deal. They've got a good receiving core and, you know, built around Derwin James, some solid defensive pieces. Uh, Brandon Staley, he comes from McVay in the last year, and he was a linebacker coach before that. But um, he has this kind of reputation as a kind as the defensive McVay. I'm not sure how much of that you can buy quickly. We've seen a lot of teams end up with two and three win seasons trying to have the next McVay. However, um, you know, Sim, he is a legitimate candidate. He's out there. I also gave this one a B uh, since I haven't actually said my grade. He's someone who has control of the room. And this is a team that's already come pretty close. You know, Anthony Lynn, his problems were things like game management. You know, you need someone who can kind of go in there and do the opposite of the Dan Campbell needs to pull a locker room together. Well, in this case, the locker room's already together. What we need are better schemes, more efficient coaching, more efficient management. Uh, Brandon Staley hasn't done it before. I think that, again, I would have gone some other ways. I've already brought up a couple of those candidates. It felt like the job that was tailor-made for Eric Bieniemy, especially with, again, Justin Herbert and playing against the Chiefs in that division would be a plus as well. Uh, but he, he has the same kind of thing, um, similarly to Joe Judge, where it felt like the team was hiring him a year before he was really going to go through the interview cycle. Brandon Staley was supposed to be one of the next guys who got hired this time. And so it feels rushed. It feels early. You're starting to wonder, you know, he's had one year as a coordinator, and sure, it was a great year with the number one defense, but is that enough alone? 
uh, this could turn into a great hire. It's got some legitimate questions about who even is Brandon Staley. Uh, when is the Chargers press conference? You know, nobody really knows. Nobody talks about them. Again, you're irrelevant. Um, and can you win in irrelevance? I think the Chargers are in the best position to win in irrelevance, just given the talent that they have on that team. I agree. Um, with that being said, yeah, Bienemy was the guy for me there as well. I, I think that Justin Herbert, obviously I don't want to compare anybody to Pat Mahomes, given the ultimate talent at quarterback I think we've ever seen outside of Aaron Rodgers. But if you could compare anybody to him, I think Justin Herbert compares well, given the arm strength and the mobility. Um, and I think Bienemy would have been a better choice there, but... I do like them bringing in a young guy from McVay's camp. Um, I think he might be successful. And they do have a lot of defensive pieces on that team. You mentioned um, Derwin James, who let's just pray he can stay healthy because that's been his only issue. And um, they have obviously Bosa locked up, Ingram. I'm interested to see how this defense plays first. Absolutely. And Staley's the kind of guy who's going to walk in there and put in the perfect schemes for that defense. Um, he's been working with linebackers. That's most of what his you know, coaching reputation was on. But taking over for Wade Phillips is not an easy call, and somehow he surpassed him in the defense that he ran, and surpassed him in this one year that the team improved, not that he's automatically a better coach. But um, I, I think that there's a lot to look forward to if you're a Chargers fan. And I do think that it's something to – I mean, as – a podcast of Jets and Giants Nation. You know, there's something about trying to beat the team that shares your building. Well, one team just pulled off a hot young coach from, you know, its uh, neighbor, or I guess the person it shares the house with, um, and the other team is trying to mortgage more of its future for a quarterback right now. And this could be another way that the Chargers could pull ahead of the Rams if 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 they can do it. Staley would be the kind of person who can get them over the top with new schemes, with proper management, you know, without being able to leave the game questioning why they call the timeout. So those are the kinds of things that if you're a Chargers fan, you should be looking forward to with Staley, even if the lack of experience and pieces like that have to make you a little hesitant. I think it was a really good Sorry. move. And hearing you and hearing you break him down, honestly, I thought the enemy would have been perfect there because he knows the division very well and you kind of take him away from Kansas City. But to, to bring in a guy like Staley, I mean, that locker room, they are together. And it was just watching a horror movie over and over again, the same horror movie over and over again with Anthony Lynn having the game won and taking, you know, <laughs> defeat out of the jaws of victory. And with a good young nucleus, a good defense, and a quarterback that is going to take probably another step or two forward heading into next season, this guy seems like the perfect leader to do that and – I think it was a really good move based off everything you were saying. I liked it in the meantime, but but hearing you break that down, it, it's probably the best case situation for that team. Completely yeah, about some of the other candidates like Jason Garrett, I don't think he would come in. You know, that would fix some of the Anthony Lynn issues, but it doesn't elevate you know other position groups and other you know parts along the way the same way that um, a hire like Staley does. All right, let's move on to some Atlanta Falcons here. A lot of weapons yes, down there. Yeah, a lot of weapons, but this one I'm not so high on. I gave this one a C+. Um, 
mostly because it's difficult to say what Arthur Smith was really, you know, the one who developed um, compared to uh, Matt LaFleur, who's now been very successful in Green Bay. And that was a coaching hire that raised a lot of eyebrows, but um, continuing a lot of the same things. This is a runs the Kyle Shanahan system, the same thing that, you know, got McVay hired, but McVay also has a lot of the, you know, front and center commands the room. You know, he relates to the players before he teaches them. Arthur Smith didn't have that ringing endorsement immediately. You know, Derrick Henry wasn't flooding, you know, Atlanta Falcons pages telling them how lucky they are. He also was bringing Dean Pease with him from Tennessee uh, to be his defensive coordinator after he was just a blatant failure as the defensive coordinator for the Titans. You know, they've been horrible. So um, he had an abysmal defense. He's just trying to stick with some people who are close with him. Um, and there's a part of me that's also questioning his relatability with his players. You know, he comes from billions, literal billions. His father created FedEx, um, and Oof. he just he wanted to, you know, pursue football instead. You know, so he did play college football and then just started going through, you know, the coaching ranks and, and moving up. And it's not to say he isn't a bright guy, but just being a very bright guy and being able to run an offense isn't all it takes to be a head coach. Absolutely. Was this move done more so? Oh, I'm sorry, Tom. I was just going to ask one question. Uh, was this a move done, do you think, more Frenchy to get as much out of the rest of Matt Ryan's careers as they possibly can, knowing it might be hard to move off of him more so than trying to bring in a leader of men? I, I definitely think that's part of it. They're not going to be able to get out. This isn't like the golf or the Wentz contract, which I think are way more movable than Matt Ryan's contract. I think this one's a lot tougher. Um, and, you know, when you're in that position, it's not just always trying to find who's the best coach overall, but who's the best coach for my team. You know, we talk about player fits, but sometimes coaching fit is going to be an important piece too. And similarly, how I kind of pointed out the anti-Patricia piece with Campbell and the anti-Gase piece with the Jets. You know, this has some anti-Quinn. You know, instead of having this, um, you know, old defensive guy, you bring in the young, hot coordinator type it's the same thing that happens when people go through divorce the first person you date is the opposite of your ex-wife whoa whoa whoa! Um, let me cut you off there are we are we back into couples therapy right yeah i found the opposite of sean she's wonderful (laughs) very true i'm not that great (laughs) go back into what you were saying i just wanted to make sure this wasn't going to get heated (laughs) no 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 that's that's about it. I, I think that's something that you can actually see. I was ready to fight you right then. <laughs> Thanks for uh, Dr. Tom bringing us back to Earth. I try. I just think this kind of anti-piece is something that, you know, carries through a lot of coaching hires. I think it's part of what the Giants went for in Joe Judge was, I need the anti-Shermer. I need somebody who's a leader of men, who focuses on a team and not an offense. Um, and it's just kind of theme that I've you know, noticed in quite a few of these along the way as well. So basically the anti thing could either go well or go badly because you sounded you sounded a little more positive with the with the Lions going anti Patricia, which I'm very anti Patricia. Um, <laughs> but with the Falcons it, it may not work as well. Yeah, well because I don't think that going just because you're the opposite of a coach who got fired doesn't mean that you are a good coach. Absolutely. You know, and I, 
got questions on whether or not Arthur Smith is a good coach, even if I do think they need something different than Dan Quinn. I hear you there. Can we get an F out of you? Like, I would love to have you as my college professor because I know I'm guaranteed to at least pass the class. We need an F. Uh, well, if you're curious about how I grade, you can check my rate my professor. <laughs> <laughs> I might if, have if to. The, yeah, go right for it. Uh, if you're looking for an F, you, you got to look to the Eagles. The Eagles there we have go. the they had this the is what I love to hear. This is music to my ears. Finally, they had the absolute worst hire. If you listen to the press conference, um, the lack of presence for someone who's supposed to be a leader in any position. I couldn't hire him to manage a supermarket if Oof. that's how he's going to. Damn. This is it, what it, I want to hear, Frenchie. But, but part of what I thought was most telling is going into the hire. I said, Nick Sirianni, you're pulling him from the Colts because he studied under Frank Wright, and you need someone to fix Wentz. But he goes up in his press conference. He's asked the question, will Carson Wentz be on the roster next year? And he says, I don't know. And if, you're not, not, good. And if you're not bringing in this guy to fix Carson Wentz, which seems to be the lone redeemable quality for the hire, then I'm not sure what you're doing. This feels like the same thing that you just did with Doug Peterson. It feels like the same kinds of hires again. And in this case, you know, what broke up Doug Peterson was the fact that he wanted to have more control. This guy who shouldn't be getting this job isn't going to fight you for control. You know, so Howie Roseman is going to be able to keep that and fill out his staff however he wants. And as a head coach, he's going to call plays, which is something I thought was a horrible choice because he's never called plays or he didn't call plays with Indianapolis, rather. And so that's another piece which kind of raises an eyebrow. He's taking on a little bit too much. It feels like he doesn't fully grasp the position and with some of the early choices that he's making. I just thought top-down the Eagles. The Eagles are in a tough spot, not only with the coaching hire, but with the cap issues already being, was it $70 million over the cap, you know, plus trying to figure out when um, they're, they're in a rough spot. They could be in the Sam Howell conversation next year. Oof. Yeah, it's a Riddler conversation at the top. Well, you guys as Giants fans probably don't feel bad for Eagles fans being in a tough spot. But, yeah, I mean, it doesn't – like, this hire was only made to, I guess, appease Carson Wentz, who we don't know if they're – it's they're all over the place, which is the last place you want to be because do you want Carson Wentz, do you not? And, and then on top of that, like – you, there, from everything you read and everything you heard, the reason why Peterson wanted more control and he was having a hard time was because Carson Wentz wasn't being a great teammate or a great locker room guy, and now you're going to bring in this guy who basically sounds like a doormat, no offense to him, and it just seems like things are going to get worse. Yeah, and that's exactly what I think is going on. And one of the other big feuds was with Howie Roseman and Doug Peterson about staffing. And this is something Ian Rappaport was talking about on Rich Eisen's show on uh, Friday, I believe it was. And uh, Peterson wanted to hire from within. Howie Roseman wanted splashier hires, get people from the outside to do it. And Peterson was just fed up with that fight for control. You know, it has a Jerry Jones-esque feel. Mm. You know, Mike McCarthy, it's, I want you to keep Kellen Moore. Okay, I will. I just want a job. You know, and it, those are the sorts of situations that I just don't think um, are 
you know, setting people up for success. Yeah, it makes me very happy. Yeah, I bet it does. Both of you Giants fans. Well, are you a Jets fan, French? I can't remember. You're a Giants fan, right? I'm a Giants fan. Okay. Yeah. Ever went to uh, Giants training camp between sixth and seventh grade. Became a Giants fan, and I became Tom Coughlin hater. Now I respect him certainly, but he signed every kid's football right up to the kid to my left, and then stopped. Now, <laughs> that's rough. I'll tell you what, that's a better story. That's a better story than Sean becoming an Alabama fan because a player he can't even remember his name made a cool catch. Like, get the fuck out of here. Fred, do you want to take over for that uh, for that player back in 05 made that catch? That player back in 05 that made that catch. <laughs> yeah. One over, the, one over the defender, over his back. Rudy Croyle through the pass. Anyway... Not oh, that's this is disgusting. <laughs> Bad podcasting. I'm gonna cut it off right now. But yeah, I think, I think Philly's in a shit ton of trouble. Just once yeah. in general, because they're saying that Frank Wright, uh, uh, reading the tea leaves, was the guy who kind of called him to the carpet and held him accountable. And it sounds mm-hmm. like they're hiring a guy that's going to do the exact opposite. And he's formed some bad habits. And then you have another guy who's, one, cheap, and two, played pretty well towards the end of the stretch there in Jalen Hurts. And it sounds like he's going to get pushed on the back burner now. Yeah, they're, they're, in a, they're in a situation where it feels, it, it feels like they just, they're playing chess and they just lost their queen. And they're just facing this uphill battle where if they make a wrong move, it could be catastrophic at this point because they're already in such a bad situation. Yeah, absolutely. I think they're going to be fighting for everything because their backs are against the wall in every corner, especially with the cap. But we skipped over one there because you finally gave out an F, and I'm really proud of that, to the Eagles. The Jacksonville Jaguars made a hire. How do you feel about that? I gave this one my other A. Nice. Two A's in this group. You gave um, this one an A, huh? Absolutely. Because they're the Jaguars. Maybe it's a little bit of a curve, uh, but it's a team and a city and an everything. You know, they chant the name of their county. What is that? Uh, but they're able to land <laughs> a generational college coach, an offensive genius who now isn't in charge of trying to have young men, you know, grow up under the, underneath his watch, which he's not been great at. And he doesn't need to worry about that anymore. Uh, my big question for him is going to be the defense you know they've got some good players and he did bring in someone who's been in the nfl for decades now uh the defensive line coach from baltimore is going to be his defensive coordinator and uh well i do think that that's a pretty good move to have someone from the nfl i think someone with a little bit more nfl experience a wade phillips anyone like that could have been a better hire but if you're the jaguars if you are going to find someone who, before you even need to talk about winning games, is going to make sure that Trevor Lawrence doesn't say, I'm not going to play for you. I think it's a great hire. And frankly, that's the number one step that the Jaguars had to take. Yeah, I thought this was a very interesting move. I was interested to see where you went with your grade, because I think this could be anywhere between an A and a D or an F, because we've seen college coaches, great college coaches, not translate to the NFL, and he's had a few years off now, too. I guess it had to be truly to secure Trevor and say, okay, Trevor, you would really be going into your senior year of college. We're going to cater this offense to you perfectly, 
and we can go through growing pains and it immediately puts a spotlight on us because it's Jacksonville. They're the other irrelevant franchise and they're going to be probably a really fun team to watch irregardless of their record because of Lawrence and seeing that offense that Meyer is going to have them run. Yeah, and Urban Meyer is going to be able to get Urban Meyer players. He's going to be able to get guys that he's recruited from college and encourage them to come play on a team with $100 million in cap space with the generational talent at quarterback coming through the door. And that alone, I think, is a as big an upgrade as the Jaguars have had you know, since they originally hired Tom Coughlin to bring it around and had their first go with it. Um, I, I think that I think the worst that Urban Meyer could be is just not an NFL head coach and not be able to run an offense that allows his defense to have rest, similar to some of the Chip Kelly problems. What I don't think will happen with Urban Meyer are two three-win teams that nobody cares about. Urban Meyer is the head coach with Trevor Lawrence as the quarterback, and I think hiring Urban Meyer secured Trevor Lawrence there. Um, that's going to be a that's a team that's going to get a primetime game, at least one. ESPN is going to want a Monday night football game featuring the Jacksonville Jaguars, and it's because of that hire along with the new quarterback. And if you're the Jaguars, that's that's huge. That's everything. Yeah, I agree with that completely. I think they're definitely going to be a lot more eyes on the Jaguars. I'm just worried that. There's going to be some uh, some success issues, and then Urban Meyer's health issues are going to come back up, and before you know it, he's going to be back coaching uh, either Ohio State or you know Oregon or some big college program. Yeah, I honestly thought that Texas might have been the one to pull him, but if we're talking health issues and stress, um, you know, I I do think that similarly to like we talked about with the Chargers the seeming irrelevance of the Jaguars helps him. You know, that almost kind of reduces stress. What I think will be strange is Urban Meyer trying to deal with a six-win team and what that's like. Yeah, and I also he's think I also think because he's never been in the NFL, it'll be interesting to deal with guys that, I mean, I don't know if they're going to make more money than him because they backed up the Brinks truck, but grown men. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. It's something that will be an adjustment. But if Urban Meyer leaves in one year, and all that's happened in that one year is the Jaguars, let's say, won four or five games, they put a fun, high-paced offense around Trevor Lawrence, and they were able to get some free agents to come and sign with them. Even if Urban Meyer says, I can't handle it, that alone would be a success. Frankie, are you you surprised that this is the move that, put urban meyer in the nfl i'm sure he was in heavy contention over the last few years for open jobs and is it simply the allure of getting the generational talent of lawrence is it the fact that he's had so much trouble with the ncaa and and all the violations that this is as good a time as any to go into the nfl what are your thoughts on that i I think that's definitely part of it i think jacksonville just kind of opens up as a perfect spot for someone like that back in florida where he's had success before and is somewhat beloved even if not towards the jacksonville and tallahassee parts of the states but you know he is going back to a place that has some kind of home vibe to him uh it's a fair weather city it's 
as low stress as an NFL job could be because you're running the Jaguars. You're not running the Giants, the Steelers, the Cowboys, the Jets, the Lions even. Um, and I think that the mix of cap space and generational talent, if you are going to give this a try, if you're ever going to give it a try, it's the perfect fit for him. All right. Makes well, sense. we're going to have to see how it goes. Want to talk about the last coach? Absolutely. David Cully. The Houston Texans, who I have to thank for being the absolute dumpster fire of the NFL and taking a little heat off my Jets. <laughs> Listen, I, I think it's, you know, there's a turning of the page. The Jets seem to be headed in the right direction. You know, the Browns made the playoffs, and there's openings for the new dumpster fire. Uh, I actually thought that the David Cully hire was a little bit better than most, even though I did have to research him you know, coming into this, but that's not too different from, you know, what you have to do for Nick Sirianni. Uh, some of the stuff that I like about this hire, I'll start there. <clears throat> so he's always been a position coach under both Andy Reid and John Harbaugh at different times. He's had the assistant head coach title. He's worked under Sam Weish, Bill Cower, Andy Reid, Sean McDermott, and John Harbaugh. Those are the last five people he's worked under in the NFL. And that's a hell of a list. And he's really slowly moved up the NFL ladder. We're talking 40-plus years slowly moved up. Um, there's a question, why were you never a coordinator? Why weren't you a head coach until you're 65, who is now the oldest first-time head coach ever, passing Bruce Arians, who is 62? So those are legitimate questions. A couple other things that I think are redeeming parts of this hire is I think this you know person who's been through everything and under the people he's had a bit of a steady hand and does the kinds of things you hear about him from former players and other coaches and the staff he's building uh it seems like Josh McCown is the is headed towards the offensive coordinator position there and Lovey Smith is going to be his defensive coordinator uh, I think those are some pretty good hires there I However, like that staff yeah, it, it, they're putting together some good pieces there, and I think a coach that's been through so damn much to get to this point and is just known for being steady and being a good teacher is a plus when you're about to blow up your franchise, uh, it, as opposed to trying to get a great strategist or something who's the Adam Gase or you know Mike Shula or you know other uh, you know Pat Shermers, it's Ben McAdoo's. We could just go through our own franchises and their horrible mistakes. But instead of doing that, they went with a guy whose you know, most notable trait is he's steady. You know, this in the same way that maybe Jason Garrett might have it, but I who I also think would have been a good hire for a team about to go through what they're going through. But you have to ask the questions, why didn't you hire Eric Bieniemy when that's the guy that Deshaun Watson wanted? And why uh, one more thing that I'll add about David Tully that I thought was really interesting is that Patriots, Patriot acolytes have a reputation of choosing other Patriot acolytes. And David Cully was from nowhere. It hasn't been under a Belichick coach, hasn't been from that tree. It's mostly worked under Andy Reid coaches. And uh, Nick Casario, that's his hire. Um, so I, th I thought that that was also a really interesting one. Um, but the who the hell is this guy questions are legitimate. 
you know, why have you never been a coordinator? And I think it's legitimate to talk about some of the racial aspects, especially with someone who's been in the league over 40 years. We're going back to the 80s and earlier. So the, there's a lot that's going on with his situation. And, um, you know, I, I don't want to jump the gun in talking about how bad he is and how bad the hire is without talking about some of the redeeming qualities. But the first thing you have to bring up is who the other people are who were out there and how you know tumultuous this hiring process was, how difficult it was for the Texans to finally land a head coach after the long process to land a GM after hiring a firm that you then ignored and talking to your star quarterback saying you'll get a say and then not giving him one. Um, so I think those pieces have colored this hire in a way, in a negative light. And, you know, it, it wasn't as strong hire to start with. Nobody likes hiring a coach, and Sean will attest to this, that the first thing you say about him is, who is that? You know, that, that just kind of leads off on a bad foot you know, for the public, for the fans. Now, that's not always the people you need to do this for, um, but that matters. It, it matters to fans, and it takes people like that to, you know, time to win you over. And Cully's going to have an uphill battle. I also, you know, I was impressed with him at his opening press conference, but again, it's the who are you questions are legitimate. The why are you in this questions, you know, they're, there's also somewhat legitimate, especially when you compare him to someone like an Eric Bieniemy, who seems, you know, to be such a shoe-in year after year. So, what grade would you give this? Uh, I gave this one a C minus. Mm. It's it's better than the Sirianni hire. It's right around that Arthur Smith one. It's David Culley just has so many questions about him that still need to be answered. You know, he's as a coach. He hasn't led as the person, you know, not not as the assistant head coach. I'm sure you address the team, but where people are underneath him, his biggest group has been wide receivers. You know, we're talking six or seven people. And now he's in a position where it's going to be 53 and 90 at the start of training camp. You know, and, and these, I think, are the things that he still has to prove. Now, can he prove that? Yes. But we've also seen some of these out-of-left-field hires, you know, the what-are-you-doing moves, um, where they backfired. And as always, when you're hiring someone who's the oldest or the youngest at something, you know, their age is just going to add another level of scrutiny, fairly or unfairly. Yeah, I didn't. I thought the enemy just should have gotten the job. Even if you still lose to Sean, you got to do everything to try and hold on to him. Yeah, similarly to what I was bringing up with Lawrence, it's what's the most important thing for this job? You know, for Urban Meyer, it's getting Trevor Lawrence to uh, to sign there and, you know, bringing in an offense that works for him. What's the number one thing that you need if you're Houston? I need someone who's going to keep my star quarterback here. And they gave up the best opportunity to do that. There were rumblings coming out of Houston that, it, that Watson said it doesn't really matter who who you hire. It doesn't matter if it's Leslie Frazier or Eric Bieniemy. I want out because you didn't give me the say you promised me. And if that's the case, they might have looked back around and said, okay, you know what? If we, if, It doesn't matter now. He, he wants out anyway. 
why don't we bring in somebody that we think is the best? Again, it may not be the best, but maybe organizationally they thought, okay, this is the move to make now. Yeah, absolutely. I, everyone makes the hire thinking they got the best guy for the job. And there are a few times where people just say, well, we had to punt on it and get the fifth best guy. You know, we're going through a hiring process, narrowing it down to just one or two people, three or four people, second interviews, yada, yada, in order to try and get someone that you think will be best for your team. Unfortunately, we just have to be on the outside trying to judge these people from a distance. It's hard to say who the who they should have hired or who is the best for it when we're not in those rooms. You know, and when most of us, Again, don't know who David Cully is and what he's done as a coach. You know, if I could, if I had my brothers, if I could have given it whatever grade I wanted, I would have left it as an incomplete. But you know, that's that's not what you bring me on to do. Um, there's there's a lot to prove. There are a lot of question. There's a lot of legitimate questioning of that hire. Also, with the Texans and the power struggle there. Is an eyebrow raised to are you just trying to make it so Watson doesn't have that power and not hiring his coach on purpose? Is there anything going on? It's just that whole situation. It's amazing to me how bad a franchise can get. We thought that we saw how bad a franchise could run. You know, we thought Jimmy Haslam had lowered the bar as low as it could go. <laughs> And now we just see Cal McNair over there pulling it down further. You know what? I completely agree with you, but let's just hope that some better franchises, a la the Jets, can take advantage of this. Absolutely. And that's that's the beauty of bad organizations. When you have bad organizations that aren't your teams, it gives you more teams to take advantage of. Yeah, and I think you're start. I mean, obviously, you see it so prevalently in the NBA with the, I mean, the Sacramento Kings and the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Knicks to a smaller extent. The mm-hmm. the the good franchises are just going to hose you. They're going to take full advantage of you. I mean, just recently, you look at how the Golden State Warriors just straight up stole an, uh, a top three protected that's going to turn into an unprotected pick next year for D'Angelo Russell, and now you're starting to see it at the quarterback level in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And as player empowerment continues to <clears throat> leak its way into the NFL, although with this Watson trade, if and when it comes, it'll be full burst. Um, you know, we're going to see more of that. The dysfunctional ownership is going to matter so much more and affect the team in a deeper way than it ever has before in the NFL. Absolutely, and uh, the question I have for you is, uh, before we move on to some trades that happen and obviously potential Watson, where do you think it stops? Because we saw Jamal Adams kind of force his way out of town with my Jets, although I think we got the better of that trade, with, even though he's a great player with the two first-round picks. Um, mm-hmm. Do you think it stops at the quarterback level and or, I guess, superstar level at at, at at other positions, or, or does it trickle down to to other positions and, and kind of the lower-level guys? But I think it's all about how much pull or power you can have. It's all about leverage, right? It's all about leverage. If, if you can be cut, then you don't have leverage. You know, it's really just, you know, it doesn't matter if you're here or not, we can get rid of you. If you... If they've invested in you, it's in their best interest to keep you there, you can start asking for more. 
Yeah, I think now, you're seeing that with Carson Wentz, too. Yeah, absolutely, because Carson Wentz is, you know, if nothing else, is going to be demanding playtime for what's been invested in him. And, you know, some issues come from that. Wasn't even dressed for the last game. Um, and so Carson Wentz isn't near the status of Deshaun Watson. But would it be possible for Carson Wentz to demand a trade and get moved? And I don't think that's out of the realm of possibilities. You know, I, we saw Jamal Adams do it, who I think is a, a, a arguably the best safety in the game. Um, and we can put that there, you know, in terms of how valuable the position is and the rest of it. But the dude can ball. Saw Jalen Ramsey do it. Yeah, we saw Jalen Ramsey do it. I think the biggest piece is you have to get something valuable from other teams in order to make it worth it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like you said, out of the realm of possibility, I don't think there is a realm of possibility anymore the way it seems to be going. Yeah, once this Watson trade happens, there will be no limit. So, all right, let's yeah, move. And then you can, Sorry, Sean. I was just going to say, no, you're good, man. I was just going to say, Frenchie, one quick question I have before we move on because I think this is something that needs to be discussed. Tom and I spend a lot of time on the pod talking about social issues and talking about what what can we possibly see done right. And you just talked about the debacle that was the Texans. Eric Bieniemy yet again not getting a head coaching job. And my question just is simply this. Does the current format of hiring head coaches need to be changed? These decisions are being made as soon as teams are eliminated from playoff contention or as soon as the regular season ends. We have Black Monday transpire where all the coaches get fired. And you've seen Eric Bieniemy. Yeah, he's taken interviews and whatnot. But that, that Kansas City team has gone deep into the playoffs the last few Todd years. Todd yeah, Todd Bowles we saw, right? He's in now Super Bowl, and, and you got uh, Jamal Adams' endorsement when he yep. went on the Bill Simmons podcast. And, and I guess my question is, is what needs to change? Because is the enemy, are we all just seeing teams miss the boat on him? Is he not nearly as highly regarded as we think he is? Is he just the poster child for the African-American head coach and minority head coaching candidate that's not getting a look? I mean, what do we need to do about this? I, I think it's such a huge question, and it doesn't seem like anybody has the answer. Well, having answers to question nobody has answers for is why you bring me on. That's why exactly why you're on. So with the enemy, I, I, I do think it is something of an aberration. Um, and I'm going to bring this up fully knowing that white coaches have these sorts of issues in their past as well. But he does have um, an arrest and some issues of player sexual assault, or players who were under his coaching guidance that had sexual assault scandals when he was a coach at Colorado in the early 2000s. However, we've seen white coaches, someone like uh, Matt Patricia, get hired with similar issues in their passes. Urban Meyer, yeah, exactly. So um, I I don't think that that alone is an issue for, or rather the reason for why the enemy is not getting hired. Uh, I, I think that... And another thing I want to almost look at is some of the Andy Reid tree failures, but I don't think that's a problem either when you look at coaches like Nagy and Peterson because Peterson won and, you know, Nagy's made the playoffs and he would at least find an OC job somewhere else. But I think he's had a modicum of success, if not more. The enemy just seems to be second place everywhere he interviews in this very strange way. I do think that he was severely hindered by the process right now. I think part of the issue is 
what the league has set up for its starting dates and the inability for coaches to stay with teams that they are currently coaching if they get hired elsewhere as opposed to something like college where you could stay on as the coordinator and go win the championship and the rest of it. And a lot of that's built around the fact that teams say, all right, well, the Super Bowl is going to be played first week of February. I think it's actually February 7th this time. And then we have 40 days or 35 days or something to get into and get ready for next season. And we have to have trades and everything already done like you've seen with the Lions. If the Lions had to wait for Eric Bieniemy to finish you know, this run to the Super Bowl, this trade probably doesn't happen. You know, these things already need to be in place this early. So I, I think a lot of it is, I think many of the problems that they're facing is based around the fact that teams have to pick their coaches so early. So I think that there needs to be some sort of way uh, of pushing back that timeline so that everybody will be able to um, get in and get interviewed. But it's also a bit of priority. Do we want to prioritize you know, teams being able to have as much time as they can with the new head coach hires, or do we want to prioritize the potential head coaches who are missing out on these interviews right now? You know, the yeah. Todd Bowles, the Eric Bieniemy's, the Byron Leftwich, who I think will be a wonderful head coach, and I've been saying so since he was in Arizona, um, and I'm not off that. I think if Urban Meyer doesn't work out in Jacksonville, bring Byron Leftwich back. It'll be a wonderful story, and he'll be a great coach, too. Yeah, that's kind of the way I've been thinking about it, too. Tom, what do you think? Do you think it's just the process? Because uh, it does seem to me like the coaches that are going deep into the playoffs are at a complete disadvantage because they're also focused on the game plan and practicing and, and doing what they need to do for that week's playoff game. I agree, and I think you know if there is an unfair disadvantage to, let's say, the Lions, like you said, who did hire Biennemi as opposed to who they hired – um, I just think that they maybe just push everything back. I mean, let's let's let every single coach get a fair shake at it here. Agreed. And I don't think you lose anything. And I, I know this is part of the NFL's thought is we want to be able to move seamlessly from playoffs to absolutely because they want to own. They want to try and own every piece of every month, pretty much, except for yeah, maybe July. They're going, to, they're going to anyway. I I think that that an easier way to do this would be to you know move some of the draft pieces up a little sooner not this year but generally like the combines things like that to have that be um or not sooner excuse me push that a little bit further down and that would also help some of these athletes uh who just came off of a season and some of whom you know had a season within weeks or months um you know push the whole schedule back it's not as if football won't be the headline Absolutely. And I mean, of course, there's going to be backdoor handshake deals where if you say you can't hire a head coach until two weeks after the Super Bowl, I mean, people are going to be showing up for interviews early and whatnot that are already out of it. But at mm-hmm. least it gives you the feeling that they're, that these guys that go further into the playoffs just because their teams are better give, get a little bit more of a fair shake. Absolutely. I think it's a real interesting conversation, and I'm fascinated to see what gets done. And I don't know if it's going to just be pushed because of the enemy or, or anybody else, but there clearly is an issue with minority head coaching uh, head coaching hires. The positions are certainly there for them. Let's move on to the quarterback carousel in this crazy-to-be offseason. It's amazing. And we saw the first move take place last night. You hinted to it. 
Rams acquire Matt Stafford from the Lions in exchange for Jared Goff, two future firsts, and a third rounder. Did anybody win the trade? Did both teams make out okay? And what did you think of the move? I thought both teams did great. I was really impressed with this trade from every angle. I thought that the Rams did a good job of upgrading at the quarterback spot. If anything, they might have overpaid a bit, but an upgrade at that position is always worth overpaying for, isn't it? I think we'll talk about that a little bit more. Um, and for the Lions, you know, they got a lot more tools to rebuild with. And what I think works in this trade so well is you have one team that's competing, you have one team that's rebuilding, the competing team is now more competitive, and the rebuilding team has more things to rebuild with. And I, I think that's your kind of win-win scenario for a trade. Completely agree with you. I think both teams are going to end up being better just based off this trade. From a Jets fan perspective, I'm happy because Matt Stafford's not going to get traded to them now. That's great for me. I really didn't want him because we are more on the rebuilding side. I'm a little pissed because of the price because I think this just further drives up the price for Deshaun Watson. Oh, absolutely. The The biggest winner from this trade was the Houston Texans. Uh, yeah, I mean, because yeah. you're, you're, people were talking about three first-rounders for Deshaun Watson plus whatever else they wanted to throw in. Now I think you're looking at maybe four just to just to even get the conversation flowing because two for Stafford, who's, what, 10 years older than Deshaun Watson, and, and Watson's obviously a better quarterback in the first place. I mean, it, it, it's going to be a lot. And there, I think, honestly, it might be good for the Jets because it might have knocked out a few contenders just because the price is out of their range and out of the possibilities, but they're going to have to trade a lot in order to get them now. Yeah, absolutely. I thought it was great for Detroit. I mean, I know Goff fell off there, and, and I know he fell out of favor with the Rams' ownership and with their management. I mean, Tom and I discussed on our last pod about how, what the GM said about Goff. Like, yeah, he's here. He's a ramper right now. Like, <laughs> you could not have less of an endorsement from, from your general manager, which means this trade was in the works. But I, I give Detroit credit for getting the draft picks along with a quarterback that, for however you feel about him, did just go to a Super Bowl two years ago. Yeah, and, and this, is, this is something I've been thinking about in terms of how we're looking at non-mobile quarterbacks and one of the things that you hear so often is that they're pro ready because they're high iq players and such and such something that i think is worth noting is you know the difference between you know being an undergrad valedictorian and then your yale and harvard valedictorian they're going from being the high iq player in college to a league where they're all high iq players damn near and that that makes a world of difference. And I actually think that the way we talk about pro-ready quarterbacks is a little bit inverted. Young QBs need time. And the way that young quarterbacks are able to get a lot of time in terms of playing time is with their legs, is having you know other tools, these sorts of pieces to keep them you know, winning games and keep them on the field and keep them from the media calling them busts within 12 games. Two perfect examples, real fast: Jones and Darnold. The yeah. biggest plays are made with their legs when they're when they're not reading the defense properly. Exactly, and it takes a while for you to get in that habit and get to the level of NFL defense reading. You know the kinds of levels that it takes. You know Brady had a year on the bench and probably five years until he was the best player on his team. After four years in college, Mahomes, until he got under Andy Reid's teaching, said he couldn't find the Mike linebacker. And he had to work Jesus. out. 
and he had to work on all of his footwork. You know, this is a sort of Mitchell Trubisky sort of thing. If you're not going to, part of what they said, the Bears uh, management was that uh, this was from Doug Gottlieb, who's got connections in there, apparently, that uh, they thought that after 50 games, that Mitchell Trubisky at 50 combined games of college and pros would be better than Deshaun Watson at 50 games combined college and pros, even though Deshaun Watson already had 30-some-odd games in college. Well, you have to be able to let someone get to those points. You need to be able to play a guy for three or four years and allow them to make mistakes and do what it takes to develop to get to those points, and quarterbacks might not get that time anymore. You know, So we need to start thinking about Who's going to be able to give us enough wins to get to the point where they're going to be able to think quickly enough to just win in that way, a la Ryan Fitzpatrick? He's got a role in this league and can start games and win games because he processes so quickly and because he's seen everything. And that is just something that is going to cause this fracture in the NFL where it seems like we don't have any quarterbacks right now. Really, it's Russell Wilson and Matt Stafford in their early 30s. You know, we have some guys who are mid to late 30s. We have, you know, 35-year-old Matt Ryan and up. And other than that, it's everybody in their early mid-20s because there's got to be such turnover. You know, quarterbacks are bust by year two and three. You know, Josh Rosen out of the league. Well, what is it that Josh Rosen needed to do? He needed to be able to work to learn to read defenses. But if you're taking around one QB, they're playing quickly. And, you know, on a bad team, most likely. On a bad team. And we're expecting wins and improvements. And if you're not bringing that, you're not going to get playing time and you're not going to get the experience it takes to reach that level. So I think it's just one of the pieces when we often talk about someone being you know, pro-ready, it's the idea that they'll be able to recognize everything and know what's going on so quickly, more so than it is they have the athletic ability to win games even if they don't always know what's going on. And I think the latter piece there is a little bit more of what makes someone pro-ready, that they'll be able to succeed through all of the growing pains or find other ways to win through those growing pains while they struggle to adapt to the NFL. Sean? So with that being said, I think Jared... I mean, I, I can't... A, I a that's like, a great like, point. A player like Jared Goff is still probably five, you know, four or five years from his prime because he's a pocket guy with an arm that has, you know, while it's not the strongest arm, he can make every throw on the field. There's a reason that his tape, you know, when he throws the ball, you put up the images of him and Joe Montana next to each other, spit an image. You know, the ball can still zip out. He puts it where it wants to go, but he doesn't always know the right place for it to go. You know, and he still is going to make those mistakes because it takes years to be able to get that kind of NFL IQ. You know, this is the same thing that happens at Yale. You know, I was the valedictorian at high school. Well, everyone at Yale was the valedictorian in high school. You know, so it's it's going to take time to really figure out, you know, how to raise your game to the next level. And a lot of quarterbacks aren't going to get that time. I think that Jared Goff, now with the extra picks that they're going to have in the future, um, plus they have this year's pick at seven, they do have every wide receiver there as a free agent, but I think having Jared Goff as your quarterback as opposed to having Justin Fields or Mac Jones or whoever you want at seven at your as your quarterback is more enticing to get some of those pieces back as well. 
So I, I think it was a very good move for the Lions. They got quite a bit back, similarly to how we talked about Jamal Adams. And this, this deal damn near is tacking on the same sort of pick uh, level as Jamal Adams to Jared Goff to get Matt Stafford. This is uh, two future firsts and a third instead of two firsts and a second. So it's pretty close. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, quarterback's a priority, right? Always. Has to be. All right, and ready? I think this also, I was just going to say, I think this might be kind of a template for what Houston looks for. They might want to already made quarterback in any kind of Watson move. Speaking of which, let's talk to Sean Watson. Um, give us give us some available, give us some trades. Let's go in the trade machine here. All right, should we go with trades that I think will be offered or fun things that I want the NFL to do? Let's go. Let's go a mixture of both. Um, I'm gonna. I got my sweatshirt off. I'm gonna get ready to take my pants off. If you start talking Jets, <laughs> um, let, let's just jump right in. All right. We'll start with your Jets then, and then I'll uh, cool you off with some Pats trades at the end. Oh. Jets offer two and thirty-four this year. Two more firsts for the next two years. Next year, the higher of whichever two. And then the last year it'll be the Jets and Quinn and Williams. I think having a you know young up and coming player is going to be key for what the Texans bring back. I don't think it's just going to be a pick stock, and I think Quinn and Williams has shown enough to be that swing factor for it. Okay, uh, I, I, Tom, thoughts. Listen, he could have told me that I had to trade my own personal left nut. And a foot as well, and I would have been like, "That's fine. You could tell me anything for Deshaun Watson. I'm at the point now where I'm happy." If you're only giving up your left, it's not going to be enough. Uh, I have to give up fertility, complete fertility. (laughs) One trade spot I think is uh, being a bit overlooked is Dallas. Uh, I think Dallas offering number eleven this year, a future first, and a second this year and next as well as doing a tag-and-trade with Dak Prescott would be very enticing. Mm. You know, they get the draft capital back, plus they get someone who can be their franchise quarterback and is looking for the deal. You give Dak the money, Dak seems like he'll be happy with Houston. And I, the Cowboys still have the tr- sign-and-trade possibility, or rather the tag-and-trade possibility, um, to make that happen, as well as adding on a couple future picks. And we know that Jerry's getting up there in age and doesn't want to wait much longer you know, before he gets the next spring. And Deshaun Watson's an upgrade over Dak Prescott, however you look at it. And look at the weapons he'd have to work with, too, in Dallas. I mean, that would, for a Giant fan, that would scare the living shit out of me. But yeah, that would, that. That would be that. a really fun, that would be a fun move, but uh, I can't see that happening. That's not fun yeah. for me. I hate everything about it. I want to pretend like you didn't say it. I might even pull it out of the audio. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Another one Giants fans will hate. Pick number 19, pick number 51, and Chase Young for Deshaun Watson. Whoa! I hate it. It's not the Jets. I hate it. I see (laughs) it, but I hate it. Last year's number two pick, Defensive Player of the Year, the up-and-coming premier edge rusher. Mm. A first and second for Deshaun Watson. I don't know if it's enough because... Because the reason being, I mean, I love Chase Young, but they want to be able to replace that quarterback position. Yeah, and 
absolutely. I think that, that that's one of the things that would hold a trade like that back. Um, but I think free agency still might have some uh, availabilities. Here's another one. You're not going to be able to replace the quarterback, but the Saints currently are $100 million over the cap. And all indications are Drew Brees is retiring. Marshawn Lattimore, Michael Thomas, and Alvin Kamara for Deshaun Watson. <laughs> I don't know how Deshaun Watson would like that. You just took away all of his weapons and a strip, star defensive player. Came down, flip it. Mm. I don't know, Sean. How do you feel about that one? I agree with you, Tom. I mean, and he's got a no trade clause. So I, if I'm Deshaun Watson, I'm saying, Jesus Christ. I mean, maybe the I ownership's mean, better, but who am I, I going to throw to, Smith? I know that's a fun one, and, and I know, Frenchie, you put that in there because of the names, but I, I just can't see. I mean, you, you look at the cupboard is bare in fucking Houston for what Watson has to work with. If you're taking away Thomas and Kamara. That's even I mean, less that's, than, than Houston has right now. At least they have that's rough. Will Fuller and Cooks and and, and uh, aging David Johnson. I mean, that, I hope that's right. a fun one. I, that one what, about you ta- what about you take Kamara out of there and you give him Taysom Hill? Yeah, uh, Taysom Hill, and you throw in a first-round pick or something instead. I think you know there there are a bunch of ways you can reconfigure this one, but all of them just have so many picks. I had to try and find something for fun. Yeah, it's I, like it. I didn't have any a fun bit, with it because he wasn't going more, to the Jets. But a little bit more realistic. Um, this one, Carolina Panthers offer eight this year, and then uh, three straight future picks. Hmm. So they they have put four picks on the board for and. Christian McCaffrey. Hmm. Wow, that's a lot. For Deshaun Watson, and uh, in addition to having the three future first um, down the way, I would have the Texans also send back two third-round picks. So um, the Panthers still have some picks, but they're dropping two rounds for it. Mm. Okay. It's it's quite a lot, but it's going to have you know, a pick high enough where Houston would be able to go get or have a quarterback or have a shot trading up for a quarterback as well as the future picks from the Panthers to move around to do it. And it gets them that young star weapon, you know, in Christian McCaffrey so that they'll actually have something for whoever that quarterback is. And I think that Carolina is really going to be one of the teams to watch during this, not just with the idea that I threw out there for it, but, you know, however this goes, because Matt Rule has been very open about needing to improve the quarterback position. He was talking with Todd McShay, and McShay brought this up on the first draft podcast, and he said that Rule told him that they look at the games that they lost by one score and said if we had a quarterback who could just make one more play, you know, think about how differently our season would go. Mm. Shots at Teddy Bridgewater. Yeah, yeah what, if, what if you put Bridgewater in that deal? You could include Bridgewater, too, if you want. I think he could be in it, and that would – you know, help make some of the money work if it needs to be worked. And, you know, it would also give Houston a bridge, which I think that they would need to have. But I also think it has the added benefit with Nick Casario as the GM. If he's going to be moving a player, I think it's less likely he'd like to do it in the AFC. You know, he comes from that Belichick system where if you're going to be trading someone, it's always better to send them to the other conference so you have less likelihood of them beating your ass in the playoffs Mm. yeah but didn't we just learn that lesson from houston when they traded hopkins to arizona didn't wasn't a big they probably didn't get the haul they should have gotten for him because wasn't o'brien hell-bent on sending him out of the conference yeah and that's another new england guy who did that Mm -hmm. 
Doesn't always come up roses. You got any more for us? Sure, I do. Uh, this is similar to my idea for Washington, but with more picks. Chicago offering Khalil Mack 2052 in the first round pick next year. Mm. It's the first pick they've got back, and they give it up, uh, other than this one. Um, so this year, their first pick since the Khalil Mack trade. Now they trade Khalil Mack and some more picks to get Deshaun Watson. Mm. And then you have Khalil Mack and J.J. Watt, so long as he's still there. Is, I know, think J.J. Watt's gonzo. I do, too, and I actually think the Packers are the perfect home since they're mm. not going to pick Beaver with their first-round pick anyway. Flip it for Watt. Yeah, absolutely. Makes I sense. think he's gone. Um, any others? The only other one that I thought would be interesting is if Roethlisberger retires, a very similar deal with you know premier edge rusher or additional players. You could do something along the lines of T.J. Watt, Minka Fitzpatrick, and 24. Mm. Again, that doesn't really solve their quarterback issue. So pretty much everything I've heard from you leaves me to hold out hope for the Jets because you have the number two pick or you have the option of Darnold if, they like, if they're yep. interested or both. And then the other thing that, that has me hold out hope as a Jets fan is the fact that um, he did say that's his place he wants to go, ale- bar quotes allegedly, through through a reporter. I mean, there was no quotes in there, so... We don't know if that to be true, but he also has a no-trade clause, so if that is true, he could veto anything. Right, and that's one of the big things. When you look at another team I didn't bring up, just to spare your feelings, but let's talk about Miami. If they offer, and a lot of this is going to be based on how Houston views Tua Tungavailoa. Mm-hmm. If they look at him as a potential starter, adding Tua, number three, number 18, and uh, future picks, because Miami also has an additional pick um, from the deal with the Texans for Laramie Tunsil. So if they use 318 and then, you know, potentially future first along with Tua Tungavailoa, you know, that would be something that's very enticing if they see Tua as a franchise quarterback. But it's all about their evaluation of Tua or of Sam Darnold or Dak Prescott. At this point in the process, where do you see him going? Thank you, Sean. I think Carolina. I know it's a little bit out there, but... Uh, uh, hang up the phone, just crushed John. Tom's dreams. Hang up you the phone. I know this is a therapy thing, and, and you guys broke up. Whatever happened, Sean was on the, on the right side. You're wrong. That's fine. I, I'm okay <laughs> with that. I, I've been wrong before. <laughs> that'll be wrong again. Uh, but I, I think that Carolina will just up the ante with first-round picks. Matt Rule being so open about that, as well as signing a seven-year contract. Um and they just brought in a new GM to basically be Matt Rule's puppet. So Matt Rule is going to go after this hard and just up this with another first round and another first round. Uh, I think that this could get really pricey. I think Carolina could be a good spot. But I also agree with the big piece that you just said, uh, Tom, and that's the no-trade clause. The no-trade clause is the immortal trump card, and there's going to be a long dance between Houston and Deshaun Watson saying, I don't want this team, send me here. And the Texans saying, we're not going to trade you if we can't have a bidding war. So I think that something could be reached where maybe if Watson could pick two or three or five teams or something to really be built around, that would really solve a lot of issues in terms of what could happen. I think the least likely scenario is for Watson to say, I will only go to X team and for them to give him away for, 
you know, less than his, his actual value. Um, I, I think it, that you're still going to be able to pull off, you know, a couple first round picks, but I don't think this can be like when, you know, Carmelo Anthony says, I'm going to New York. Mm. You know, and even then they were able to, you know, fleece the Knicks, but whatever. Um, you know, the no move trade or the no move clause is it's just a fascinating addition here because it can't be this open piece where I get, you know, ideas about maybe Chase Young. Oh, he doesn't want to play for Washington. Maybe ideas for, you know, the Saints. Well, if that's the trade, Watson's going to say no because he's not going to be left with anything. So that that's just another layer that we're really going to need to see how it plays out. And I also want to add this piece about the Deshaun Watson potential trades, is that March 17th is the new league year. That's when we can start you know, looking at um, free agent signings and things of that. This is a $30 million player. The cap is probably coming down. All indications are it's coming down to somewhere between 180 and 185. Teams yeah, but... But the, $30 but the point on that is the $30 million doesn't kick in until next season. It's only $10 million this year for his cap hit. Well, that is a big plus. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know I was going to stump the professor today, but I had to raise my hand in class well and done. let you know that. Thank you. you I know, appreciate I, that. I give extra credit when I get beat on things. Oh, man. You're Ray, my professor. I was actually going to do a Ray, my professor, pretend I was a student, and I was going to give you a tough, tough review, but... Now that well, I'm getting bonus points. <laughs> um, now, now it's sounding like you guys are becoming the couple. Listen, I know Deshaun Watson is a is a is a long listener to Sorry Narrow Podcast. Deshaun, just drive down your price, save all the weapons in New York, save save the Jets some picks so we can get you some weapons and say you're only going to the Jets. Put it out there to the news. Mm-hmm. That's what he should do. Yeah. If he Listen, really, if, if he wants to get the best opportunity as well as fuck the Texans as well as best he can on his way out, that's what he should do. That's what I would do. That that to me is the only way that this really gets expedited, and it's the only way that we get to one team. Yeah, I just pulled up the contract. I'm looking at what exactly what you were explaining now. Good stuff. Extra credit. Thank you. Um, that's five points on your next quiz. Well done. Oh, thank you. I well don't know done. what the topic's going to be, but I'll take the five. But points. I will add. I will add with that. It, it does get tough with the way that that contract's going to jump next oh, year. Oh yeah, absolutely. How you're going to guarantee contracts? But the other. But the other thing is, if you if you go ahead and make that trade now, I'm obviously looking at through the lens of the Jets. But if you sure. if you're any other team, then you can go out this year in free agency and, and sign some guys that are that are hunting for a ring for a one-year deal absolutely well i i just meant like if the trade was not completed before you know free agency yes then you're trying to you know guarantee x y and z players through next season if you make the trade after that well now we just added this big cap jump to next season we got to start you know reconfiguring everything yeah i think um, sala and lafleur make make it a lot more attractive. I mean, New York City, you can say what you want. We've seen great players in the NFL not need a big market, but you can't say it's going to hurt him to become one I think of the, the New York of the league. I think the New York City aspect is kind of a moot point, given the current times. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's sure. you can never say it's a bad thing to be That's in the New York market, but at the same time, we're, we're caught up in covid um, so. Oh no! I was just saying it wasn't going to hurt. It's not a selling point, but it certainly is never something that's a bad deal. And and to have the coach that was 
universally, including you, Frenchie, regarded as the best hire of the offseason, plus bringing in LaFleur, plus yeah. having all the cap space. I mean, the, aside from being in the same conference, which Deshaun probably doesn't give a shit about, it, it does make a lot of sense. At Carolina, the way you presented it does too, but it's it's a fascinating time with all because there's so many other attractive quarterbacks, and there's teams who are probably in more win-now modes that, although they'd love to have a Deshaun Watson, aren't necessarily willing to relinquish some of the other assets they have to put them in the position to win in the next two years. Yeah, the only other team I'd I'd still like to throw out there as a you know wild possibility, but he's someone who Deshaun might want to be coached by. Oh, um, God. That's John- the Raiders have Derek Carr. There's always been talk that maybe they're not a perfect fit, but he is a starting quarterback in the NFL, and that's a team that's always willing to take big risks and. Um, a 10-year contract allows you to do just that. I so, thought you were going to say New England there. Uh, I, I, New England, I really don't think, has all that much to offer. No, frankly. not at all. Their, yeah, their I, don't picks, think, I don't think so either. Their picks aren't bad enough to be that valuable. They won't be if they get a Deshaun Watson. Then those picks are definitely not going to be valuable as mu- enough. And they really don't have enough young talent to start adding players. Um, maybe you could trade Bill Belichick for him. <laughs> But Bill Belichick's not going to trade himself. No, not at all. I mean, after talking this out and everything, I think the two teams, unless unless Carolina is just literally willing to sell the farm, I think the two teams in the best position just come right back to the Jets in Miami. Yeah, I, I, I think that they have the most assets to get the deal done. It's and just a matter of if, if Carolina is willing to literally mortgage the next probably seven years. Exactly. Is there anyone willing to mortgage a future for Watson? And that's not an unreasonable thing to ask. And how it all plays out with Deshaun Watson's no trade. Because mostly for a trade, all we're looking at is what are the assets another team has to offer? But with this trade, we also have to say, what does the team have to offer the player that he's getting traded to? You know, Because if Watson's not going to remove that no trade clause, then it's moot. Absolutely. Frenchie. Sorry, Sean. Oh, no, I was just going to say, was there anything else you guys wanted to talk on about Watson? I I just had a question saying, I mean, reading the tea leaves and everything, when do you think this, when do you think this really, the ball gets rolling on this? I'm sure there's phone calls between the Texans and teams every single day, but when do you think this starts getting spread out to the public? Because there's always going to be leaks. It's inevitable in 2020. You think it happens within the next month or two? Yeah, I think that it's, my guess would be end of February. Okay. Um, it could go to the start of March, but I think that teams, like I said, teams are going to, because of the salary cap implications, both this year and for the future, um, teams are going to need to get this done before the new league year. I don't think this is something that can happen at the draft. Um, the picks will never be more valuable, but it'll be just tougher to figure out with all the players everyone's already signed and then. You know, well, it's only $10 million this year because of uh, the salary that the Texans will have to eat. Um, but it does kick in to 30 next yep. year, and we've already guaranteed. Con- so I do think it would probably be end of February, start of March. So you still have at least a month of material left, and that's always a plus. Um, so that, that would be the time frame I would think that a deal would get done because that would also give the Texans enough time 
you know, to prepare themselves for it, to be able to make changes on the fly. Whereas also with Houston, if this happens right at the draft, well, then they've missed out on potential players and signings and, you know, backloaded contracts and other ways that they might go about free agency if they do or don't have Watson. All right. I mean, I, I know you like Carolina, but I still really do like the Jets' chances. The Jets have the one thing that, or really it's two things. The two things that I think give Carolina a slight bonus are being out of conference makes Houston more likely to want to do it, and Matt Rule's contract and pull in that organization where I think that he could mortgage the future for it. And Joe Douglas has shown himself to be a pretty smart guy, and I'm not sure how deep into debt he's willing to go. Though he does have more assets to make a deal with him. And really, I think the Jets have, if I was putting out offers there, you know, just draft picks alone, Houston or Houston would probably be wise to take the Jets' pick, uh, picks. The Jets have more picks to offer. They've got the higher pick this year to offer. Um, and depending on how you're looking at Tua and Darnold, if you want to assume a young quarterback will come back either way. I think that the Jets would be the you know, most enticing offer if they're going strictly for picks. But it's also what does Houston think that they need to get? You know, Does Houston want to win a divorce quickly? Do they want to be able to rebuild their roster through a lot of picks? Do they want to make sure their quarterback position is solved by this? Do they want to make sure that they're just bringing back top-tier players? So that they can point at you know point at what's on the field and say, look, we have the Watt brothers together, or we have these other playmakers playing alongside Zach Wilson or whomever. So it's going to come down to what is it that Houston is valuing in their return. Though I do agree with you, Tom. If I were in their position, I'd be looking at the Jets' offer as the most enticing. All and right, this is a huge reputation. Up. This is a huge reputation deal. For Houston, too, because obviously you can't have a worse image than they have right now. And if you're trying to repair anything to get free agents, I mean, Watson can make it very uncomfortable telling other free agents, don't bother signing here. I'm not going to be here. And eliminating certain destinations from his from his pool of teams. I mean, this can become one of those things where if Houston tries to match him as far as pettiness, uh, it could set them back even further than they already are. Um, I'm going to give you a list of teams right now I think would be fun. And give us a rapid fire twofold. Um, I'm going to go trade, free agency, or draft as far as options as to how these teams are going to draft a court, or address the quarterback position. And just give me a thought as to a name or two that make the most realistic sense. Let's start in Chicago. What, what do you ultimately see them doing there before next season? I think Chicago's going to try to trade, but they're a team that I think is going to find themselves without a seat at the table. I think Mitch Trubisky's coming back on a one-year deal, and I think that they're going to try to move up in the draft. And if they can't mortgage their future for Watson, um, then they'll probably mortgage their future to go from, you know, let's say, 20 to 7, where the Lions are. The Lions just collect more picks. You know, and they've got the Rams picks as well in the future, so they'll still be able to move around. Um, they could jump up to 7 with the Lions. They could jump up to 11 with the Giants if the you know judge influence gets Gettleman to trade back. Um, 
I, I think they're going to address it in the draft. And if they can't get up high enough, that could be a Mac Jones spot at 20, or that could be a team looking in round two or three for someone they convince themselves to take over. Indianapolis. I thought this was where Matt Stafford was going. Absolutely, me too. Yeah. <laughs> Until this happened, uh, I thought it was the Stafford spot. That's a, I'll tell you what, if, if you – if you squint hard enough, you might be, you know, as I did for some of the trades, like with the Saints, you might be able to make a Watson trade for them. Um, but I, I think that, you know, it's another team that's just running out of spots. They have, uh, you know, not enough draft assets. While they do have their picks, you know, that's about all they have. Um, so I think that, you know, I guess it would probably be quarterbacks. Uh, coming from free agency, but you know, Jacoby Brissett, it it seems like he's just not going to be the answer. You know, they've already decided he's not stepping in. This is another spot where it's going to have to be from you know a potential trade. I think a Dak Prescott trade also makes sense. It's a tough one. I'll lean draft just because I don't see a clear route for them to get a quarterback any other way. Yeah, that makes sense. What do you think there, Tom? Complete agreement. I just don't think they have enough capital in order to move up to get a quarterback that they would want. Not to mention, this team is built to win now, much like the Rams. Yes. So I think they're going to want a more veteran guy. I just don't know what they have in order to offer to Dak Prescott. Um, With Dallas having that franchise tag to hold over their head. Yeah, well, and it was more, my thought was more tag and trade. Um, but I, I'm also not sure if, you know, Jerry Jones falls in love with somebody else. Because, again, it doesn't matter what you or I or anyone else in that organization thinks. It's up to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, it, it's also the free agent, you know, classic QB isn't as stacked as we've seen it. The, a lot of the movement that we're going to have to see is going to be coming from trades. Uh, I think that if an in-division trade were to happen, Gardner Minshew to the Colts would be fascinating. Mm. There you go, Tom. It's your boy. That's my fucking guy. That'd be awesome. Uh, I think that that would be a really interesting spot. It's one of the few spots where it's set up for a quarterback without great mobility to succeed. You know, if we're talking Mac Jones, that would be a spot where, you, you know, he could do well. You know, and have a chance at really, you know, sticking around as an Let's not say my guy Gardner doesn't have mobility now. <laughs> well, that, his uh, his VW bus certainly is mobile. There you go. New England Patriots. They're losing Cam Newton. That season didn't go very well. They're kind of in flux, which is weird to say about the Pats. Um, how do you see them addressing their quarterback situation? I think they're going to sign Jacoby Brissett, and they're going to draft someone. Any name in the draft idea? Uh, it depends where they go, but Kyle Trask. It, yeah, I think Trask in the second would make sense, um, second or third. I also think someone like Kellen Mond would be a really interesting um, signing for them, too. He's played a ton of games in tough SEC competition. He really showed at the Senior Bowl this week just how damn good that you know he might be. Um, and he would be someone in that third, fourth round range, you know, less than the kind of high investment. And he would also fit into the more mobile quarterback where you could make a scheme for him or just, you know, a few plays a game 
where you could have Jacoby come out and he can run some RPO um, as a way of kind of developing him along. But they're, they're definitely in a hole. Another quarterback that I think would fit there is Andy Dalton. You know, we talked about him a lot last year. Maybe Jacoby Brissett and Andy Dalton both end up there, and that's what they'd try and do to turn it around. And, um, you know, that's another way to go. But I think Jacoby Brissett going home makes a lot of sense. But I will also throw a Jimmy Garoppolo trade back to New England as a possibility. That'd be pretty cool, honestly. Yeah, that's the story I'd like to see. Uh, to be honest, I think to go back to the Cowboys, I mean, I like your options for the for the Patriots. I think Brissett, as well as Dalton, might be there. I think they're going to go that route and try and go the cheap, quick fix route. I think Belichick yeah. likes that. Um, I, I think the Cowboys just bring back Dak. I do, too. I've, I've brought him up in cu- quite a few different ways just because I, I think that it's not as guaranteed as it's kind of being discussed, that's, oh, yeah, Dak will be back. I, I would, If I was a betting man, I would bet on him being back. But I don't think that it's such a given. I mean, Jerry Jones has shown the uh, – the more that Jerry Jones keeps talking about how valuable Dak Prescott is, the less I believe him. <laughs> you know, it, it's got, yeah, that's fair. Sign, we didn't sign Odell just to trade him vibes all over it. Hmm. And – with the last year of a tag and trade with him coming off the injury. And though they didn't win a ton of games down the stretch, Andy Dalton, um, you know, wasn't horrible. And a lot of times they lost games because of their defense. So I, I think that it, it's a story worth paying attention to because tempers could flare that, that franchise tag is always going to be, you know, that final play that Jerry Jones has, but I look at a player like Zach Wilson and think that he's a Jerry Jones quarterback. That he's the kind of guy that Jerry Jones could just fall in love with the traits and the, you know, gunslinger and the good old boy. You know, all those pieces. Maybe he wants to tag and trade Dak and then move up to go get someone like that. Um, you know, the, the draft flexibility along with the potential tag and trade might give um, Jones a little bit more leeway to do something like that, but... You know, Dak is pretty, you know, fed up with some of these pieces. His uh, The tag next year would be close to $40 million on a team that's already decently strapped to the cap with things like the Ezekiel Elliott and the Demarcus Lawrence deals. And, the, you know, while they would do it and be able to do it, it'll make things very difficult for them um, as opposed to trying to get a young guy Trey Lance, Justin Fields, whoever it is, um, and just build from there. But they've also got quite a few holes to um, fill before they just start trying to push all their chips to the center. Let's stay in the NFC East. Let's start with Washington. Unless you really are buying the Heineke stock, (laughs) they're looking elsewhere. They won the division, crazily enough. Um, There's a lot of options here. Obviously, Haskins is gone. Uh, so they're either going to be drafting again or looking to go from outside the organization, trade or free agency. What do you see happening there? Uh, I think free agency, but I think the free agent's going to be Alex Smith. I think he's going to re-up there, um, but I also think Cam Newton's a very real possibility to return. Love it. That'd be fine with me. What do you think there, Tom? I think Alex Smith comes back on another year deal, just try and ride the vibes of the, the nice story, trying to clean up the the look of that organization who is just a joke. Yeah, it's one where they're going to have to cut him and re-sign him. And feelings can get hurt and different things along that process. But it's a spot that 
you know, worked out great for him. Um, I don't see Taylor Heineke being the new GameStop, so I'm not investing. Mm. <laughs> Let's stay inside the NFC East because this is fascinating. Uh, you got to talk Eagles here with the turmoil that they've already experienced from how the season ended and, I mean, obviously in season to how it ended to their head coaching move. Is Carson Wentz going to stay there? Are they working with him? Is What's Jalen Hurts? What are they doing? Well, I don't know who's going to be the quarterback. I think they stay in-house for it. Um, I think that everyone wants Carson Wentz to win the job. So if Carson Wentz can't win this job, it's a big red flag. You know, given that the GM and the owner and the guy paying him $30 million are all pushing for him to win, I think that the big thing they're going to do is try and add weapons. If they lose games 30 to 45, they're not going to care so much as long as their quarterback position looks good, no matter who it is. So um, they're going to be stripping a lot of pieces down, just trying to rebuild and you know, make some quick fixes, you know, both in free agency and at the draft, so that they can put some improved playmakers around their guys. You know, someone like Zach Ertz is probably going to be gone you know, just because of the cap situation that they're in. So they're going to be losing playmakers on a team that can ill afford to lose them. I, if I was a betting man, I think that Carson Wentz and the support from the organization and the fact that it feels like they got a doormat as a head coach, I guess that Wentz wins it, but it could go either way. I could see that too. It makes the most sense. Um, it feels like the easy answer, and this is a spot where you have a head coach looking for an easy answer almost. Yeah, yeah, I, I see that too. Tom, any thoughts on, on that, or are you in lockstep there with Frenchie? Now, all signs point to this this hire and everything going on was designed around Carson Wentz being the starting quarterback, whether the fans or whether analysts or us like it or not. Two more for you, Frenchie. One, there's definitely an opening, and, it, well, not totally officially yet, but it seems like all signs are pointing to Breeze being done. So the New Orleans Saints – you got Jameis, who was on a one-year deal. You could bring him back. You got, I mean, I don't even know. Is Taysom Hill an everyday everyday quarterback? I have no idea. Where, what do you see happening here? Uh, I have no idea if he's a good everyday quarterback, but I think Taysom Hill will be the everyday quarterback with the Saints, especially given the fact that they're $100 million over the cap. They don't really have the space to go out and sign or trade for any of the guys getting their names floated around. I think Jameis could come back on a deal and, you know, they could try some sort of you know, competition that I think Hill would win. It's also just something about the way Sean Payton talks about Taysom Hill. Every time he opens his mouth and says the name, he gets a little grin. You know, and he loves being the guy who's so smart. He showed you he could win with this guy, too. Tom's on board. He, we, we did a podcast. Big uh, middle finger to you, Sean. Oh, listen, I don't think I don't think Taysom Hill is going to be great. I think at best maybe he 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 leads him to a wild card game in the playoffs. But just by watching how like like Frenchie said, Peyton talks about him. I think he's the starter there. I just like being right. Yeah, I, I think that uh, I think Taysom Hill is going to be the starter when it all shakes out, and Drew Brees will be calling his games from NBC. But. Um, whether or not it's the right move, that's its own debate. But it was pretty clear that Taysom Hill's a quarterback, and we learned that when Drew Brees went down, and Taysom Hill was the starter. They didn't, you know, just use him as a gadget or swap him and Winston out. You know, he played real quarterback. He did pretty damn well too. 
no more proud was Tom than sending me a nice text about how good Taysom Hill played in his first game as a pure starter, knowing that when I was like, well, well, Jameis is going to play. Jameis didn't play, and Hill lit it up. Um, last one for you here. I don't know how realistic an op- possible opening on this team is, but we, we mentioned them in, in the Watson sweepstakes, and I don't know what their love affair with Tua is, so i got to throw out Miami. Is Tua the guy? If, is Watson the only person that they would maybe move off of two or four? I, I feel like this team is kind of a dark horse here. They may not be as sure on two as we think. Yeah, I, I agree. There's a lot that seems to be leaking out, you know, and leaks always come from somewhere. And so I, a lot of this, I think, is coming from the organization, and it might not be such a happy marriage. You know, Sean, you and I just went through that. Issues come up. Obviously. <laughs> Well, we're working them out during this during this podcast. We're you good. guys are doing well so far. Only one bump yeah. on the road. I appreciate that. I feel encouraged. Good. Um, so very much so. I'll sleep well tonight. I think that Tua will be the guy if they can't get Watson. However, I do think that they still want to keep Brian Fitzpatrick or some sort of you know backup plan in case Tua is not actually the guy that they think he is. And it's also one of those spots where, like we were saying earlier, you've got to put your quarterback in a position to succeed. If they are going with, you know, to a long-term at three, you know, Devontae Smith or Jalen Waddell or someone who gets off the line of scrimmage quickly, you know, this is a quick trigger quarterback and you've got a bunch of long striders who, you know, run 20, 30 yards downfield and then make a cut and look back for the ball. So they might need some reconfiguration there. Um, just to make sure that they can put Tua in the best position to succeed. But, you know, by March, we're going to know if it's Tua or not. You know, not even by the way that um, they talk about Tua, but by the sorts of moves that they're going to make around him. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I I was just going to say that makes sense because I've heard – I mean, first of all, I was definitely – I think it was the fact that they were in contention for the playoffs, which is why they would be so quick to pull him and bring in Fitzpatrick in relief and try to win a game. I obviously still love Tua. I, I think he he could be great. I don't know how healthy he really was. I don't mm-hmm. love the offense. They won a lot of games because of their defense. But there there's a lot of help needed there. I just question from within if they say, hey, you know what, we had a year with this guy and maybe he's not going to be as healthy as we thought or maybe he's just not going to be as good as we thought. I'm just I'm just interested to see if it's if it's not Watson, if it's anybody. But Fitzpatrick bringing back him, yeah, that would make sense. Yeah, and uh, I think one of the other things that's really going to be important here is who do the Dolphins hire as their new offensive coordinator? Chan Gailey left, and I'm sure that Tom's got plenty of happy memories of Chan Gailey with the Jets. No. Um, (laughs) So it'll be a really interesting piece if they get someone else who, um, you know, they were trying to get Tony Elliott, who decided to stay with Clemson. They were trying to get Pep Hamilton, who uh, got moved to the Texans. Uh, Matt Canada was another name there, got hired by the Steelers. So there's a couple things going on with the Dolphins where, you know, not only are they trying to figure out who their quarterback is, but they're trying to figure out who their offensive coordinator will be, and making those two mesh will be its own kind of problem after they keep getting passed on uh, by their top choices for other jobs. Yeah, for sure. Tom, any thoughts on, on Miami? 
I think two is back, man. And this all leads, obviously, to me thinking that Deshaun Watson's in a Jets uniform. I just think that they, they're going to watch some tape on Tua and realize that maybe he was playing a little, a little compromised and that he's a better player than he showed. Um, Sean, you got any other teams? Those are the ones I had written down. I thought could be the most interesting. I didn't put Green Bay down. I, I no, really we're think not speculate. Is back. Yeah, of course. Um, and the other teams I had were the Rams and the Lions, but we figured that out last there night. We go. I got one more yeah. question about a team that's uh, kind of in desperate need of a superstar. Um, how do you feel about the New York Knicks trading for Bradley Beal? Oh, now we're talking about something. Oh, there you go, and your Knicks. Listen, for me, with any of these trades, it doesn't matter the sport. It's always about the price. What are you giving up? Um, I think you're giving up, honestly, to get Bradley Beal and the other packages that have been floated out there. You're probably giving up two to three, probably three first-rounders and an R.J. Barrett. Yeah, see, Barrett's a tough one for me. I love Barrett. I'd rather also add in a couple first-round pick squats and topping. Mmm. Listen, I, I like that. I, I like that trade a little bit more. I think Toppin's kind of a high floor, low ceiling player. Um, yeah. I thought he would improve defensively. I've been a little bit disappointed by that. And I think R.J. Barrett, honestly, he gets better every single game. He does. And Toppin, Toppin looks stiff. Toppin needs to do some yoga. Mm. Um, <laughs> get, get he can do it with Stanton and Judge. Yeah, I was yeah, gonna we're... say he's one, he might have to join my naked yoga class with uh, Stanton and Judge. <laughs> oh, that's a class I'll be joining. Open the invite um, to both of you guys. <laughs> nice. Yeah, he he's definitely looking stiff, but he's also going with limited minutes and fairly because Julius Randle's an All Star this year. Yeah. So, um, you know, if if he gets moved in it, I'm not putting. I'm not ready to put Emmanuel quickly as an off-limits guy, but I'm not including him in the deal yet either. I'm very close to it, though. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm not kidding, man. He is. He looks special. There's just something about the way he plays. Um, plays at his pace, man. Like he can blow by a guy on his hip, and it doesn't even look like he's moving. Exactly. It it, it looks almost like disjointed the way that he dribbled he doesn't have this Kyrie handle but he always has this way of putting his defender in a bad position you know he's a very high IQ player which makes sense with IQ and like I just that with the shooting with everything else no one's declaring point guard of the future after 10 games except for Nick fans obviously um Am I ready to do that? No, but I'm not ready to move off of him because I've seen too much good at too cheap a price and too young for me to get ready to start turning in all of the young pieces. Now, you can have the Kevin Knoxes and the Frank Nilakinas and the rest of it if we're trading for Bradley Beal. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'll frankly, drive him myself, like I said. Today. Frankly, if we're trading for a lot of other people, too. Frenchy, I want you to know that the last pod Tom and I did on Wednesday of last week, Tom had his coffin ready under the understanding that both Deshaun Watson and Bradley Beal were coming to his teams. And I and it's really because he knows these teams bring him nothing but disappointment. So he'd rather die knowing they're both on the teams than living to see a possible championship that I think in his head he knows is not coming. If those two trades happen, I'll die a happy man. You can put me in the coffin right after the second trade's done. He had it completely sealed up and put six feet in the ground. And what a way to go. He, he didn't even die before he went underground. Yep. 
Boys, well, all right. What? I think that those kind of moves for any franchise are just that you can't help but be optimistic with things like that. And when a trade occurs or a draft pick occurs, that just forces a disappointed fan base to be optimistic. That's something special. Of course it is. All kidding aside, if you guys got Bradley Beal, that, that would be – we had a New York sports orgy on the pod a couple weeks ago, and this would certainly add to it. Um, Frenchie, we're, we're going to get you talking draft here. Obviously, we're a couple months away from your mock and then your reaction pod. But after bowl season, senior bowl, before the combine, whose stock went up the most amongst top prospects who played in the bowls and whose stocks dropped the most? And you can kind of give us as many here as you want that would be most notable. All right, everybody, pull up a chair. We're going to be here a minute. Uh-oh. <laughs> so uh, three Alabama guys really oh, raised stock this year. There you go, Tom. That's what you want to I don't think that it's that difficult to pick out Mac Jones, Najee Harris, Devontae Smith. Devontae Smith just puts on a route-running clinic every time he's there. He's fast. He's strong. Marvin Harrison comps easy. Najee Harris runs strong, runs mean. Um, and this is someone where before the season people were saying maybe he could sneak into the second round. Um, now he's looking like he might be the best running back in the class, and that's you know, usually late first, early second at the latest for someone like that. And then, you know, Mac Jones is somebody off the radar, and he's put himself in the top five quarterback conversation. Not going to start ranking each of them and where they go on those lists because, you know, we got to save something for when I'm back on in a few months. Um, Barmore's another one who, especially in the playoffs, helped himself. And that's plenty of Alabama guys to talk about stocks raised. Can I just ask you real fast? Devontae Smith, does his size scare you at all? Seriously, does his size scare you at all? Because as great of a college receiver as he turned out to be and how fast he is in electrifying with his route running, if you're drafting him that very early on, he's a small guy. But he's a thin guy. He is 6'1". He is very thin, and he looks thin. You know, it'd be one thing if you're like, wow, he's that light, but no, he looks 175, soaking wet. And he's, he's listed 175, it's probably 168. Um, there is something just kind of concerning because of how unique it is. The only other player like that who's really been that successful is Marvin Harrison. Um, and I think the fact that there has been someone to do it does help his case. He hasn't shown a propensity for injury before, but... You know, that doesn't mean it's not going to happen in the NFL. He's never taken a hit from Khalil Mack before either. Um, well, the other thing I, the other thing that makes me feel could could ease you a little bit, Sean, is that there's some guys, like you look at a Marvin Harrison or a guy like Lamar Jackson that are smaller that just have the ability to avoid the big hit. And I think after watching him this whole season, he did a good job of it. Yeah, he did. Get down. It's that Emmett Smith quality. You know, you go back, you watch a game from the 90s, as much as – you know, everyone was crushing everyone that they were next to. You know, Emmett Smith just never took a big hit. He just always seemed to find a way to get a, you know, a leg tackle on him. Someone just slides down. Devontae Smith has some of that ability, too. Um, it's just part of the mature route running and playmaking that he has. All right. Yeah, I was just curious because it is, a, it is something that's being talked about. Yeah. And since we're talking stock up, stop down, we won't talk Patrick Sertain. He was a top 15 player and he still is so nothing moved uh justin fields i think really cemented himself in the top 10 with the toughness that he showed in that clemson game 
the Alabama game wasn't his best, but I think we all were watching a guy who wasn't close to 100%. I think going out there and having the performance he did you know, was pretty big. And uh, Chris Olave would be someone who would you know be on that borderline first round, except he decided to go back um, alongside of uh, – he would be there alongside Fields. Someone who went down in that same game is uh, Darion Kendrick who ended up going back to school, I think in large part because of how Olave, you know, torched him, frankly. Kadarius Toney is someone who, if you watch SEC football, you saw a lot of him this year. He's a wide receiver, and he does a little gadget running back sort of stuff for uh, Florida. You know, the kind of Tavon Austin-style thing a coach like Urban Meyer would love foreshadowing. Travis Etienne from (laughs) Clemson. Spent a lot of time this offseason working on his pass catching, and it showed because that was one of the big spots where, you know, you needed to see some development from him. A great story this year from college football is uh, Jalen Phillips. He was the number one player in the country. He went to UCLA, and he went through a couple personal things, some uh, injury issues, and he fell out of football for a year. He ended up transferring to Miami, and he put on a pass rushing clinic the quick twitch was back he had a bull rush he had a chop and cut like yeah you know, the everything just seemed to open and work out for him so he's going to have some questions to answer about you know how he fell out of football and things like that do you really love it but you know he seems like he's all in now and he really worked himself in the first round conversation a guy from notre dame who was one of the few bright spots for Notre Dame in their game against Alabama, but he's been a bright spot for them all season, especially in the two games against Clemson, was Jeremiah Uwusu-Koromoa, the linebacker-safety kind of hybrid. He's six one, but he's a bit heavier than your usual safety. He's not you know, so great at trying to shed off blocks in the run game, but he has a great instinct for shooting the gaps to bring down a running back. And he's a linebacker who can cover in the slot. He can play the zone well. He can stick with your tight ends. Um, you know, he's someone who came into the season as like, hey, we need to take notes on him. We need to have a look. And um, he he's really shined this year. So, um, you know, there's a couple other guys. Tommy Tremble, a fast and strong blocking tight end from Notre Dame. Uh, Talanoa Hufanga, someone who just keeps rising from USC a safety. Um, and one of the big headliners from this season has got to be Kyle Pitts. I mean, oh, that Sean. That's a guy um, I was Pitt. asking you about years ago, Frenchie. I'm a genius. You are. You are. You know, unfortunately. That's, that's another five extra points for you, dude. Thank you. Unfortunately, killing it. we can't talk about Chuba Hubbard in this section. Um, but, you know, to bring in some of your other favorites. But Pitts mm. played phenomenally this year. Um, and I think has brought himself to top 10 consideration, not sliding out of the top 15. And, you know, there's there's a good chance that he will be the first pass catcher taken. It's it's not out of the question. I saw a lot of mocks having him go into the Chargers. Chargers at 13, Giants at 11, Cowboys at 10, Panthers at 8, and Eagles at 6 I think would be another spot that would be great for him. If, Jamarsh- if, they, if they move off of Ertz. Yeah, if they move off Ertz, they're going to need that second tight end. We know that's Carson Wentz's home. Um, you know, if they, for some crazy reason, don't go offensive tackle with Cincinnati, um, wouldn't you love to get Joe Burrow, someone like that, who can stretch the field, give him that big body target? Um, 
so there's a lot of teams that could use the kind of athlete and playmaker that Kyle Pitts is. Call him whatever position you want, but um, he, he's a stud, and he came on big this year. There's a lot to like about him, and if you're a team that needs any kind of offense in this offensive league, I mean, I think the exciting thing about having him, if you already have a tight end, is you run that two tight end set, and he is more of that contested catch guy, whereas you might have your other tight end that's more of a blocker or or is better in open space and, and doesn't really like to go up and get a football. Uh, Sounds like you're describing a situation for a New York team you might be a fan of. <laughs> I'm definitely talking to Evan Ingram. I'm talking to even Philly. I mean, you've got <laughs> you, you, you've got the other tight end there, and if you move off of Ertz, I mean, like you said, that's that's where Wentz lives with those tight ends. Yeah, it, it, he'd be the perfect person to work alongside Dallas Goddard. But, you know, Dallas even Goddard, yeah. Jets, if the Jets, you know, knock on wood, don't end up with Watson, they trade back from two if they don't want to move off Sam. You know, Kyle Pitts could be someone who's a great person to bring, especially to be that, you know, flex tight end in the kind of Kyle Shanahan scheme that Mike LaFleur is coming in to run. I'm all in on Watson, so I'm not going to comment until he's traded somewhere else. Fair enough. And then I might be in the cauldron <laughs> for a negative I reason. Look, I look forward to mocking Jets picks starting in the third round. I appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> um, anything else you got, Sean? I was just going to uh, ask, Frenchie, with, with the senior the bowl prep. Sure. <laughs> I, I was just going to add, since I only talked about the good, I've got three guys who've uh, really fallen off this year. Yeah, um, go. Sean Wade, the corner from Ohio State. Uh, he played great in the slot last year, um, and this year he moved to outside cornerback. He looks either slow or lazy, and he really, you know, hurt himself with both some poor tackling and, you know, lack of mobility on the outside. And so he might have slipped from the first to maybe the third round. Uh, Marvin Williams was a top 20 player going into this, and he seemed like he lost his focus, his explosion. Um, and that's just another one. And an Alabama player who's um, potentially slipped, you know, around, um, you know, edge of the first round, maybe going round three, is uh, Alex Leatherwood, the left tackle. And, um, you know, playing left tackle at Alabama still means something, but his pass sets his have sloppy footwork. Um, he was getting beat pretty heavily at the Senior Bowl this week, uh, in addition to playing a little bit of guard there where he did look a bit more comfortable, but at the same time his horizontal kick is just – a little bit slower and he can't hit the same point uh every time and still learning to use his hands as much as a bully as he's been in college you know he's going to need a lot of technical cleanup to move to the pros um but the senior bowl has been a great spot if you care about this sort of stuff especially because it might be the only place in the process where coaches are going to get one-on-one face-to-face conversation interview time now that the combine's canceled and they're still trying to figure out how they're going to have some sort of testing clinics at a few different locations across the country where you know players will go to have their tests and um you know rather than having pro day numbers where guys are running you know 39 yard dashes and such so senior bowl's really a spot where not only are we getting to watch some of the best players in the country go head-to-head, and we see people like Demetric Felton, the running back from UCLA, who played wide receiver this week, and he he was able to manipulate corners as if he was um, playing wide receiver his whole life in the uh, you know mood of Clyde Frazier. He manipulated and obliterated. 
Antonio <laughs> Tommy. You got like really love He really came into you know this Antonio Gibson like player. Another couple receivers, Nico Collins, six four, great elevation. Um, he's going to probably be an early round two guy instead of that round two three bubble. Um, he was an opt out this year, and the opt outs are going to be one of the toughest things for anything any team to evaluate. Um, how are you going to handle you know players who haven't been out there and looking at tape that's a year old? Um, each team's going to kind of go about this differently. For me, one of the things that I've been trying to look for is when possible, um, you know, how much improvement came from year one to year two for guys that, you know, are able to have such things. But difficult people like Gregory Rousseau, um, who really only had one year because he switched positions, recruited as a safety, uh, moved to D-end and D-tackle, uh, but primarily as an edge rusher at 6'7", uh, 253. Uh, so he changed positions his first year. His second year, he finished his second to Chase Young with 15 and a half sacks. And then he opts out this year and is going to the draft. Um, so these opt-outs or even things like Trey Lance only got to play one game or Quinn Meneres, the center and guard from Wisconsin Whitewater, who from D3 didn't really have a season. Um, something this week, like going against a potential round two guy like Levi Onsurike, um, that's the sort of stuff that's really going to elevate someone's status. Um, so I think that these testing numbers for guys who opted out are going to be a little bit um, more critical. I'm fascinated to see what could happen at pro days in terms of cornerback wide receiver matchups, or if it's just going to be your typical kind of testing um, that you've seen it as just a mobile combine sort of thing. Um, but it, it, it'll be fascinating to see how every team addresses it. You know, we might have teams where over half their guys opted out this season. We might have teams that just, you know, refuse to take anybody who opted out because you don't know enough. And it could lead to some talented guys falling. You're the only person that I know that's given us D3 names, and this is why <laughs> we call on you to do these things. I'm going to leave you with this, Frenchie. Tom, I'm hate to do this, but at this point in the process, the Jets still have their two first-round picks. We'll see when you have when you come on in late April. Give us your thoughts for the two Jets picks for where they're sitting, and for the one Giants pick. Uh, so for my two Jets picks, I assume they're going to be with Deshaun Watson, so that Tom Thank doesn't you. slap me through the phone. I think it, that given Joe Douglas coming from a world where you trade back consistently as part of his background, I think that, you know, that's very much an option. Um, if not, I think that quarterback could very well be in play. It's going to be on Douglas and Sala, who don't have connections to Darnold, to decide whether or not he is their guy. Um, now, granted, if if it's not Watson and it, they go with Darnold and it doesn't work out this year, they still have two picks next year, so they'd be able to be very mobile to get someone in what, you know, is shaping up to be a little bit weaker of a class, but... I, we never see the Baker Mayfields and um, the Joe Burrows coming and who knows who else is going to elevate themselves next to Max Duggan and Desmond Riddler and uh, Keaton Slovis and Sam Howell, those guys who are towards the top of the list now. But if they just make the pick at two, I think Panay Sewell is the best non-quarterback in the class. Uh, he was a left tackle at Oregon in his sophomore year. He uh, won the trophy as the best offensive lineman. Additionally, the outland it is, and 
he's given up one sack in his two years at starting at left tackle for Oregon. He is a grinder in the run game. He's mobile in the pass game. He's got better hand placement than most young players um, do. He did nothing in the two. If he was able to come out as a sophomore last year, he would have been the number one tackle in the class. And he spent a year just working on his body, we assume. Um, and so hopefully there will be some positives that come from that, only getting you know stronger and quicker in those things. A lot of these opt-outs, it's going to depend on how they spent you know, their year. But if it's not Sewell, I would think that they would be looking Jamar Chase, a wide receiver from LSU, so also an opt-out, or one of the Alabama guys. Uh, the offense has really been a struggle um, to put things together. Now, Denzel Mims, I think, really had some moments, but he also had some injury issues. Uh, Kyle Pitts could be someone who pops in there. Really, the big things here is I think that the Jets will be looking weapons more so than defense. And at the top, you've got te- one phenomenal tackle prospect and three wide receivers who could all be vying for the number one wide receiver spot. And it'll be up to which team uh, likes which guy that's going to go for there. He'd be nice to pair with uh, Makai Becton. Yeah, I think that if you were able to have Makai Becton and Panay Sewell, you, within a year, maybe two, you'd probably have the best pair of tackles in the game. It's entirely possible that you just put those, you know, those two guys across from the center from each other, and you just say, we'll make the middle work because we have those two guys who are always going to protect whoever's dropping back for us. Mm. That, that's the way as it stands now. Um, if I'm keeping Sam Darnold, I would go with Sewell, not just because of, you know, how impressive it would be to have Becton and Sewell as the two tackles there, but because I just think he's the best non-quarterback in the class. Jeez, I got to go back in the garbage and grab that Darnold jersey. I might have to go to the dump. <laughs> <laughs> how about that second pick that they hold in the first round that they got from Seattle for Jamal Adams? So the second pick, I think there's one player who would be a perfect fit for the kind of both mentality and system that Robert Sala would want to bring to the defense, and that's J.C. Horn, a cornerback from South Carolina. He's the son of Joe Horn, who was a very good, if not great, player um, for the Saints, uh, also famous from fl- getting a flip phone. I remember uh, from, that. That was great. Some of our younger listeners, this is what we had before holograms. Um, <laughs> J.C. Horn is just a very physical, big-bodied, long-armed uh, defensive back corner from South Carolina who has played a lot of press man and a lot of zone. And I think even with that kind of press and bail cover three that they try and use sometimes, I think he would be the perfect kind of person to slide in um, with that pick from Seattle. If, it's, if he's gone, which might be a possibility, you could look at running back. You might be able to still get the top running back on the board, whether you go Najee Harris, uh, if you want something with a little more power, Travis Etienne, if you want you know, a guy who's a little bit quicker, quick, um, you know, just one cut and gone sort of guys. Or another guy, Javante Williams, who um, had an insane 76 broken tackles on 156 carries, um, which is just a remarkable number to put up in that few of carries. Uh, the UNC running backs this year are both very good players. Yes, um, it, it's you know it's worth adding Javante Williams, especially in that conversation for number one running back. Um, you know there have been plenty of issues with the Jets at their running back spots, 
Um, Le'Veon Bell is a little womp womp, but, you know. Could um, be a Super Bowl champ. Could be a Super Bowl <laughs> champ. Isn't that why we play the game? Otherwise, <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, another wide receiver, if that's not where they go at the start, is always a possibility. You know, Rashad Bateman would be great there, or Kadarius Toney, someone who's going to offer a lot of quickness and speed. You could put him across from Denzel Mims with the sides, and I think that would be another really good match there. What about Giants? What do you think in their time? I love all those. I love all those options. I mean, obviously, I'm still all in on the Watson trade, and I don't want to hear anything otherwise. But I think they'll probably hold on to that second pick, and I, I like all those options. I would like to th- see them go running back and, and not mortgage more of the cap space like they did with the Le'Veon Bell and go cheap at running back, which I think is what every team should do. What did yeah. you think of P. Ryan this year? I liked what he showed. I, I don't know if he is a number one running back, and I don't know if he can handle that type, those type of touches. I mean, you saw him get injured this year. Yeah, and, you, and his injury history has gone all the way back to college as well. So um, that's something that hasn't you know come out of nowhere either. Even if he didn't have those injury problems, I think that's someone who would be best suited as a you know one-two punch mm-hmm. sort of. Um, pairing and with the Watson trade I'll also add this piece another thing that the Jets have is that second round pick at 34 so even if you miss out on one or two of these guys you're still going to be able to get a very good running back at 34 if you give up two and 23 things are lining uh, up perfectly yeah so I mean that's the beauty of getting a lot of picks you really get to move around and make sure that if you go all in for these moves you know the cupboard's not bare Definitely. Frenchy, real fast before we move to the Giants, do you want to take a guess as to what former Jets running back Tom has a jersey of that has not gone in the trash? Former, oh, God. Matt Forte. Nope, Chris Ivory. Oh, nice. Big bruiser, man. He was a good hey, running I've back heard. for the Jets for a few years. He ran hey. hard. I put on my Brandon Jacobs one many a Sunday. It's the only Jets jersey I got left. <laughs> well, now that you threw out your Darnold. Yeah, I mean, listen, I've had I had a Wayne Corbett in my possession. I gave that away. Classic. Yeah, I sold that for a pretty penny. Um, all right, let's move on to the Giants. Yeah, so I've had this inkling that the Giants are going to end up with Jalen Waddle, um, but I think either of the Alabama receivers would be, you know, easy picks there as well as the connection between Judge and Saban. And, you know, we've seen from Judge, at least in the first year when there was, you know, such difficulty getting information, you know, as there's going to be some of this year that he went with guys that there might be a relation to either on the staff or um, otherwise. So uh, I think the Alabama wide receivers, especially with all the talk at the end of the season about trying to get Daniel Jones playmaker, I think Kyle Pitts would be another, you know, easy pick there i think he and ingram would be a great tight end pair you could play them both in line you could split them out to the same side together it would offer a lot of versatility um and though there might be some questions about jason garrett's ability to use versatile pieces it's hard to screw up two guys like that with their athleticism at the tight end position for a team that loves to run multiple tight ends um Three other quick guys that I'll talk about is uh, Patrick Sertain as the cornerback from Alabama. Caleb Farley, he's a cornerback from Virginia Tech. 
Um, I already spoke about Sertain's, you know, family history, son of Patrick Sertain. Um, he's six one and he, he's played some great lockdown corner and very few quarterbacks ever target him anymore. Caleb Farley is someone who opted out this year. He was a corner from Virginia tech. And actually when he got to Virginia tech, he was supposed to play quarterback. He's only played corner for two years. Um, but he's had a ton of production. His athleticism jumps off the charts. He does great backing up into zone. He's gotten a few interceptions, uh, back in 2019 and one of the things that he did best with was being able to cover his guy while watching the quarterback's eyes and undercutting someone else's route so that's one of the things that maybe being a former quarterback helps him out with but it also helps to have this kind of off the charts athleticism he was someone i was really looking forward to seeing at the combine just because of you know the kind of athleticism that i'm you know, looking forward to seeing from these kinds of prospects. Another guy that I think could be in play is Rashawn Slater. Slater is 6'3 and has about average arms, which is not always what you expect from a top-tier tackle. However, Rashawn Slater's Northwestern plays for Northwestern, and in their game against Ohio State from not this past season, but the one before as he opted out, he had the best game against Chase Young that any tackle had to come close to. Um, if, if you're, you know, deciding to get into this sort of, you know, observational critique as I am, um, that's a game you've got to start with because it's just one of the most impressive performances that you're going to see from someone um, who ought to be athletically overmatched. But just the technical ability that he has at the tackle position. Now, will his athleticism hold up? I'm not 100% sold on that. I think he could be a very good tackle, but I also think he would be a great guard. And as the Giants you know, may want to add one more piece, as Zeitler has the potential to be a cap casualty, um, you know, that could be another way that they go. And then in the second round, address weapons, someone like Nico Collins or Rondale Moore. Um, or if they go wide receiver or weapon early, they could go with an edge rusher in the second, Carlos Basham, Aziz Ojolari, Joe Tryon, um, someone like that. Because one of the things that we've seen from Dave Gettleman is that he has a good eye for talent. He often finds talented players, but what he doesn't always have a good eye for his value. Now, I think this year with the needs the Giants have, it kind of pins him into a position where he's looking at more valuable positions like corner tackle wide receiver as opposed to things like running back at two um but you know hopefully this eye for talent shines through for giants fans as you know these needs are finally coming to uh coming to the threshold where they've got to be addressed and so this is what we're going to see in april yeah i look at getting jones another weapon heading into that critical year three i look Mm -hmm. at you know, rebuffing the offensive line that they spent a lot of picks on last year, including the number four overall pick in Thomas, who got better as the season went on despite needing ankle surgery. Yeah. And I look at the secondary, if you can get another top corner to to go up on the other side of Bradbury, you can become a pretty formidable team, despite how good the defense played this year. I still don't know if overall as a unit it's great, but they, they have a lot of different ways they can go. Yeah, and I think it's mostly just trying to find ways to, number one, support Daniel Jones, since so much of the franchise has to rely on him. 
Um, and then trying to find ways to build on your strengths. If you're trying to make the offensive line a strength, well, then, you know, it might be worth adding another piece there. Free agency is also going to change so much of this um, from where we're looking right now. But as it stands, the Giants as a team, I think, have four kind of outstanding needs, and that's pass catcher, it's more offensive line help, and that's edge rusher, and that's cornerback. You know, and those are really four of the most valuable positions that you could be looking. Um, and, you know, maybe some will be able to get filled during uh, free agency, especially since the Giants, with their cap space, while they don't appear to have a ton this year, they do have a ton next year. You might be able to backload some contracts, the inverse of what the Jets would do if you know they're able to trade for Deshaun Watson. So there's a lot that's still yet to be figured out, but I guess that's why I'll be coming back on in a couple months. Damn straight. Tommy, you got anything more for Frenchie here? No, let's let's leave a little meat on the bone for, for our draft for our draft extravaganza. You gave us a lot there though, I have to say. You're giving the listeners a lot of value for a free podcast there. Um, last thing before we leave, Sean, I'm sure we're gonna make our predictions on our next podcast, but give us a give us a Super Bowl prediction. If you want to throw out a score, go ahead and do that before we wrap this up. It only seems fair. Uh I'm going to go Chiefs, 34-31. Oh, barn burner. I like that. Steve Spagnolo goes down as the greatest Brady antidote in history. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. I just, the, uh, the pieces that the Chiefs have been able to put together around Mahomes, it's just tough to stop that. We've seen the corners for the Bucks have some issues covering. And I will say it's been nothing but short of phenomenal what we've seen from Brady and losing a Super Bowl you know, given the fact that this is a new team and everything, while it may seem a disappointment, is nothing to hang your head about. Uh, but the, the Chiefs have this kind of machine quality to them. They're putting it all together at the most important time, which is exactly what you expect from top-tier coaching and elite quarterback ability. And, you know, the things that Mahomes can do and the things that Tyreek Hill can do are really going to press corners like Jamal Dean, who are susceptible to jumping routes and, you know, getting caught um, trying to come up too early and getting burned deep. So I think it'll be a little bit more high scoring. I think it'll have a big game by Tyreek Hill. Uh, I think that on the other side, Tyron Matthew is going to have to have a big performance. Um, because, you know, we got to have some people from the Chiefs defense step up if you're only holding what looks to be another great offense to 31 points, which feels like a strange sentence. But, um, you know, that's, that's all I got, and it's what I'm going with. My name's on here. Keep the receipts. All right. I think <laughs> that about it, wraps it up, Sean. Tom, what do you think of the therapy session? Do you think it went well? I think you guys are on the right path to being long, we, long-term friends. We've been doing it. It's for so long, we can make this work. Yeah, I think so, too. Frenchie, thanks so much for hopping on, man. Really appreciate it. Yes, thank you, boys. I'm looking forward to doing it again. All right, everybody. Talk to you guys soon. Be back next week.